0: more people with genius IQs living in China than there are people of any kind living in the United States? That can't possibly be true. It is. What would account for that? Well, first, an awful lot of people live in China, but here's my question. How do you distinguish yourself in a population of people who all got 1,600 under SATs? I didn't know they take SATs in China. They don't. I wasn't talking about China anymore. I was talking about me. Want to get some food? I am sorry, you are not sufficiently impressed with my education. I'm sorry I don't have a robot, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite, I have no intention of being friends I'm with you. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should okay, you are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're gonna go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true be because you're an
1: asshole.
2: Welcome to Worth Watching, Guest Choice, where a guest chooses a movie somehow relevant to them and we talk to them about it. I'm your host, and all I have to say to you is if you'd invented the Worth Watching podcast, then you'd have invented the Worth Watching podcast. My co-host is Guy, who has spent many years refreshing his browser to see if I've finally responded to his friend request. (laughs) hello guy hello ron don't hold your breath on that friend request (laughs) no i won't (laughs) and our guest today is robbie suave senior editor at reason and lately of the youtube channel for the hill hello robbie hello thanks for having me yeah thank you for being here so why is the social network a movie that is relevant
3: to you the social networks relevant to me because I have a new book out on the regulation of social media and about heavily about Facebook itself it's called Tech Panic so I thought the movie would be worth revisiting mostly for that reason but uh, I I I loved it I adored it at the time and uh, obviously we can we can get into it I, I think but I think it more or less does hold up and 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 mm-hmm. and is worth watching even though in many ways it is from a different clearly from a different time period given <laughs> how freaked out we are about Facebook and social media right now as a society. I mean, you know, we're coming after several months of Facebook's worst news cycle since probably the 2016 election where, you know, you have everyone in Congress wants to regulate Facebook. There's you know, addiction issues for, for kids everyone's concerned about, interference in democracy, spread of pandemic misinformation, there's such a wide range of harms being attributed uh, really to Facebook specifically that it's kind of a fascinating time right now. But then to go back in the movie before any of these harms were like, none of this is mentioned in the movie. There's no, there's not a whiff of this (laughs) potential concern about Facebook in the, in the movie. But I wonder if I'm pushing back a little bit in my book on on some of these things, I think they're overblown. And I, I think maybe Ten or twenty years from now, we will see some of these things as having been like a freak out or a moral panic, so then the mm-hmm. like the film will will come back into being right. like right now we're in the middle where like the film is if the film is correct, it will be correct again in the future, but right now it seems kind of short sighted <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I think it's like horror films, right? When you go back in history, whatever period you go to, the horror films were about whatever society was worried about at the time you know nuclear mm-hmm. war, radiation, mm-hmm. whatever oh
4: sure. Yeah, that Stephen King said Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original one, that was about communism. And the thing, John Carpenter's thing, was supposedly about AIDS, you know. So you get all these, yeah, you're right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is also about communism. <laughs> yeah. There's probably a lot of co- yeah, that's communism. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting how that is a time capsule. And I read that they are hinting at doing a sequel And just imagine, with the same people, if they do it, just imagine how different the sequel will be from the original. So if they do that, it'll be fascinating. Right. So you're younger than us. We're like in our 50s now, so we're old people. (laughs) So what's your experience of social media? Because it's been there much more prevalent in your life than it was for us.
3: Yeah, it, it you know, it's funny because everyone can kind of date themselves by saying, well, when does your technological awareness start? So, I, yeah, I was born in 88. I'm 33 now. I started interacting with my friends through AOL Instant Messenger. That was the dominant. Still pretty early, yeah. You didn't call it social media mm-hmm. then, but that's basically what it was. So there was that, and then so that was in like my 7th and 8th grade and beginning of high school, and then I was totally... Into the MySpace craze <laughs> that was very dominant for the second half of high school, maybe, maybe most of high school, maybe all of high school. And then it's so you, and I, I mentioned this in my book, you know, if you had told me when I was 16 that MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger would be a fleeting sort of <laughs> obsession that was something that would totally fade and I would have no interaction with and would barely remember it having been important to me. I would have said that's crazy, mm-hmm. right. but then Facebook comes along, kind of right as I'm hitting college. It had come out, I think, a year or two before, maybe more. It had been around a little bit, but it was it was hitting the big time because you still had to have a college email address. You had to be have been admitted to university. You had right. to have the .dot edu address to be on Facebook. But that was just beginning mm-hmm. to, I think, w- within a short period of time after that, that it was open to everyone. And then, then that beat just became, it was better. It was just a better product. Like my <laughs> was so buggy was so <laughs> you could, it was, you could customize, you know, the background of it, the, mm-hmm. uh, I forget what people call it. It was like a skin or a template or something. I can't remember what people mm-hmm. would call it, but it, it, but it would make it so like the text would appear not where it's supposed to be. And <laughs> you could really mess with it on a, like mm-hmm. a user interface, like a design level. But that made it bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, here's how
2: old I am. I started as a teen with bulletin board systems. So this was literally your computer would call the other person's computer and you would interact with the system then you would log off, and then somebody else would call their computer. And so that's how messaging worked, right? I'd put up a message, and then you call the same computer, and you read my message, and you do a response, and then I call that Wow. Yeah. Wow. And we had no web, et cetera. But Guy and I really are kind of ahead of the curve because we met online over
4: 20 years ago. Yeah, 99, I think, or thereabouts. (laughs) We were making
2: games together. We you know we've met maybe what twice in the last twenty
4: years. Yeah, wow. two or three times. Wow. I can't remember exactly.
3: Yeah, I I have friends. I I'm in some. Well, I'm a I'm like you. I'm a big you know board game person, and I'm in a a forum for the card game Dominion that I've been involved <laughs> there <laughs> mm-hmm. since. I think I've probably been there since 2011, 12, 13, somewhere in there, and. um... I, I, when we actually play so it was originally we were discussing Dominion there and then we play a lot of the party game Mafia and it's variants mm-hmm. we've been playing for years so these are people I've most of them I've never met in uh, in person every now and then I've visited a city where someone lives and I've gotten to you know you get to meet someone you've only like it's fun to, to meet right, people right. someone I who lives in Finland who I've interacted on in these forums for a long time came to DC and visited me so I'm a positive social media is positive right, kind right, of absolutely. you know we were in, in all of the kind of Panic about it, but a lot of that is not present in the film. The film is is the film is mostly recognizing how this could be very good, and it does portray Zuckerberg as a sort of complicated but villainous figure. Mm -hmm. But it's more Mm -hmm. about how he. It's not because Facebook is a villainous product; it's because of how ruthless he is to. Eduardo Saverin and, you right. know, he's kind of there's some indication that maybe he kind of stole the intellectual property a little bit from those mm. twins. Right. Right. So he's kind of a villainous person. And that was interesting. To see it, but Facebook is not really portrayed as a villainous enterprise, <laughs> which is very mm. funny compared to today.
2: So I will resist going on an hour-long discussion of (laughs) deck-building games and how Dominion started something which has now influenced video games, and let's just not go there Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we'll never Mm -hmm. come back. Mm -hmm. So, Guy, what's your overall experience? Uh, Anything you wanted to add there?
4: With social media, uh, yeah, I have some strong feelings about that because a decade or so ago, roughly, I was actually an advocate about Facebook. I would tell a lot of friends, oh, you need to get on Facebook. It's fun. You know, it's good. You may even have been one of the victims of that. (laughs) But my feelings, especially just in the past year, have changed dramatically about Mm -hmm. Facebook in particular, but social media in general. I don't like the direction they're taking of making themselves the arbiters of truth, you know, mm-hmm. saying what can and can't mm-hmm. be posted. I don't like that at all. So mm-hmm. that's my current feeling about it.
2: Well, Robbie, in terms of your book being an answer to that, obviously as you are known as a libertarian, so obviously you must not be comfortable with Facebook determining what is true. But having written this book, what what's your take on, you know, is this something to be worried about?
3: Yeah, so I, I also am frustrated with a lot of choices that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google make about moderation. I I think there have been bad moderation decisions made in the realm of pandemic-related speech, political speech. And I have objected when they've made bad calls and I've criticized the companies. But you end up in this kind of frustrating, it can feel frustrating at least, but it is the case. These are private companies. When they restrict your speech It's not a First Amendment violation. It's not, I mean, censorship Mm -hmm. isn't even the technical word. We can call it, you know, censorship as a kind of metaphor, but it's not, uh, it it doesn't, they get to do that. Those Mm -hmm. are their policies. And I I think they should apply their policies more consistently. I think they should be transparent about what their policies are. I think some of their policies are frankly bad, but Mm -hmm. I don't think the solution is to have someone else tell them to dictate what their policies should be. I mean, the government right now is... They they want, I mean, the, the Biden administration, Republican, everyone agrees that Mark Zuckerberg should not be in charge of what you're allowed to say on the Internet. Mm-hmm. But then does that mean they think Congress should be in charge of that? I don't think that would be better. God forbid.
1: <laughs> right, right.
3: I don't think anybody thinks that would be better. But the only other thing I'll say on that, while it's true, again, a lot of these have been bad calls and I'm I'm concerned about them, the current landscape for having conversations online is very good, is like the best it has ever been. We are not experiencing this vast silencing. Mm-hmm. There is like a wider range of viewpoints being discussed and challenged and put out there than ever before. The volume of conversations, the diversity of conversations is something very admirable that we would that we would risk damaging if we took mm-hmm. regulation or we harmed Facebook mm-hmm. or we did something dramatic. Even people who... who Rightly and rationally are concerned, or that you know there has been censorship. There's been bad moderation calls. We could make it a lot worse. It, it could be worse, and was worse mm. in the era before social media, when you just had a few media companies that got to tell you what to think. Mm. And no one, no one even had the the, I, the idea to have you know the <laughs> platforms where people could speak up at will and share you know information. And some of, some of it bad, and some of it wrong, some of it contrary to what established people want you to hear and say. But I, I think that's better.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think you've probably mentioned this, certainly David French has talked about this, which is that conservatives who feel that they're being censored, look at Facebook. Overwhelmingly, conservatives get the vast majority of attention on Facebook.
3: Top 10 articles on Facebook at any given time, you'll see Tucker Carlson, Dan Bongino, The Daily Wire, Breitbart. If you are someone who, who publishes provocative, conservative, alternative even left it just non-orthodox liberal speech. Thank God or Rahalor or whoever you pray to, you <laughs> every day for social media.
1: Hmm.
4: I tend to believe that regulation isn't the right way to handle something like this. I like the idea of if a particular company is not doing what you want it to, then uh, ideally you can try to build around it. Although in some cases it takes a whole lot of capital to build some kind of alternative infrastructure. But, you know, in general, I think regulation tends to be a hasty reaction to we have to do something for the children and that's, mm-hmm. that doesn't lead to good decisions. It, so I'm <laughs> right. in general, uh, I'd rather have the market sort itself out, so to speak.
3: Well, and <laughs> Facebook itself right now, Facebook supports increased regulation. They, they've been called, they've started calling for it. Zuckerberg oh, well. signed on to it because mm-hmm. they reasonably believe that additional regulation would harm their competitors. And their main competitor is Twitter in in terms of what we're talking Mm. about as a social media site. Mm. They think regulation, they think if the platforms had to do more moderate, uh, that's what uh, Democrats want Facebook to do, more moderating. Republicans Mm -hmm. want Facebook to do less moderating. (laughs) it's a very, Facebook doesn't quite know what to do because they're these two kind of roughly (laughs) equally powerful sides giving them totally opposite demand but but more regulation might mean that twitter being a smaller company cannot like staff up to meet the requirements so you end up hurting twitter and helping facebook
4: right right there's also and i i don't know a great deal about the law but i know there's something called i I think it's called section 230 where that Mm -hmm. differentiates between a platform and uh, is it a common carrier but they're two different aspects well, that, <laughs> well it, it's alone. kind of a myth it, yeah. it doesn't
3: <laughs> it doesn't quite yeah it, it actually does right it does not distinguish so section 230 is fundamental foundational law for the internet that actually a lot of people think what ju- just what you said that it it says you got to be a publisher or a platform and if you're a platform that means you know you can't make speech related restrict you can't you know make content Restriction mm-hmm. decisions. That's actually not... The, Section 230 does not separate those two things at all. Section okay. 230 says online platforms are not subject to the liability that a traditional publisher, like a book publisher or a magazine or, or what have you, you can sue a, a, a book pub, You could sue my publisher if I defamed someone in my book. You could sue okay. me and you could sue the publisher. But if I wrote a post on Facebook that was defamatory... You could sue me, but you could not sue Facebook, and okay. that's be- and Section two thirty gives that protection to all online speech, basically to all mm. online platforms. Okay. So it's and-, and it says specifically if they start doing content moderation the way a publisher would, they are still protected. Like it specifically mm. lets them do the exact thing that now people are like, oh, we don't know if they should be able- allowed to do that. So, th- so you you mm. could change the law, but but the law as written absolutely gives them the power to do it, it was oh, okay. in, in fact intended to give them this power and you okay. have a, at least a
2: whole chapter in your book if not more where you point out that so a lot of conservatives are saying oh we need to get rid of section 230 it's hurting us section 230 is protecting conservatives so do you want to explain hmm. that or yeah
3: yes so section 230 says you as i right i just laid out you said there you can't sue facebook you can't sue twitter you could sue an individual user you you can sue them it, you know if a if a Twitter employee says something defamatory you can sue sue Twitter but but so this this means that the platforms don't have to worry generally they can just let you post and then if you get yourself in trouble so be it or if you say something violent or threatening maybe they'll take it down later but they're not going to get sued for it so they can you know they can just kind of let you do say whatever you're going to say if you got <laughs> rid of Section two thirty. They wouldn't be able to do that, or they would—they would, they would hit, be taking extra, extraordinary liability risks to do that. So they would—they might have a system where only verified people could post. Or mm. I mean, the, the idea of them approving all posts ahead of time seems impossible. it's literally mm-hmm. impossible for YouTube. How how could they watch oh, yeah, yeah. a zillion hours? But anyway, so if you got rid <laughs> of that liability production, the very speech that they would be more likely to take action against. Would be like conservative speech, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the speech that they're kind of liberal people and they're skeptical of, and they don't agree with. So you you would just like increase their motivation to take moderation actions against you. I mean, it, it would hmm. it, it, it would not work. It would be so unfeasible. It would make it would make social media so unfeasible. It would like like it would just kill it. And I don't see why the right would want to do that. Again, like okay. every, like Donald Trump has you know said we should repeal this law, but like Twitter has been taken to court. Because some you know, left-wing people sued Twitter and saying, you have to take down Donald Trump's posts. And Twitter in court said, no, we don't because of Section 230. So Section hmm. 230 literally was cited by these companies as a defense for keeping up the highest authority conservative person there is for huh. a great long while. So it's, it's okay. kind of funny. It's a, it's a very, there's a lot of misconceptions about it.
4: All right. Hmm. Good to
2: know. Okay, so let's get to the movie itself. So Guy, before this,
4: what was your sense of this movie? Had you ever seen it? I had been driving my sister's minivan with her kids in it and they had watched it on the T V D player, so I got <laughs> snippets of it here and there. I and, hope and while I,
2: driving you were not watching. No, <laughs> the no, movie. no.
4: <laughs> I would just I would just hear a little a line here and there. So this was my first experience with it, and I I liked it a good deal more than I expected to. Actually, I found it thought it was really uh, really engrossing. I expected it going into it. I expected it to be a movie where I would hate everyone on screen, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it turned out that wasn't entirely true. Even the people who were villainous had had some human qualities. So it it, it did a good job at doing doing just enough to humanize everyone to make it uh to make it sort of engaging you know plus plus just wanting to know what happens next it it has that little bit of suspense about it you know so it was good i liked it so robbie how much has your
1: work
2: on on you know this book and your last book and just whatever i mean you already said you're a fan of the film but how much background on zuckerberg and this whole history have you kind of absorbed with the work that you've done or do you feel like you know what's real and what's not?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I, so the the film was my when I saw it. I saw it in theaters when it came out, um, however many years ago that was now, and that was kind of my. I mean, I was an active Facebook user and kind of you know social. That, but that was my first sort of introduction to you know the broader story, the, the you know the kind of the intrigue about the funding and you know you know he. Well, the, the, the two legal matters, his dispute with the Winklevoss twins and the friend and everything, which makes for very interesting backstory. I and mean, I remember at the time wondering if, though, the film was being kind of unfair to Mark Zuckerberg because I'm like, OK, they're making a movie about this. A movie needs a villain. So, you know, is he mm-hmm. he's kind of he seems like kind of a, you know, hard to not a not an easily likable person kind of off in his own head not a fun guy so they're just kind of portraying him that way the only
2: person who cooperated with the book was eduardo so mm. you
3: have to naturally assume
2: that this has an pro eduardo anti-mark
4: slant to it
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah
4: and and he's definitely the one in the movie who comes across as, to the extent there is a good guy he's pretty much bit you know
3: <laughs> yeah yeah right so it's very, but I was so you know I wondered if it was, and I, I guess I still don't know. I you know he probably has a equally compelling side of why he was justified and he was right, and they, they like they imply that he leaked some incriminating story about Eduardo to the newspaper, and but like they never really, possibly for liability reasons, right, never state definitively that he did do it, or I don't know. They maybe there's some <laughs> maybe or maybe there's some disclaimer in the like all. So similarities to people are, you know, we're not vouching for it or whatever. <laughs> Artistic li- license, but yeah.
2: Hey, so this podcast is committed to complete transparency. So I'll tell you <laughs> that Guy messaged me that it isn't really a guest choice episode because I maneuvered you into this by suggesting <laughs> that we watch The Social Network. So I wanted to check in with you to get your libertarian perspective. Do you feel exploited by this process? Have I committed a trafficking crime here by suggesting this film to you? No,
3: no, I, I would be. I, I was. I was happy to uh, to discuss it because I really did like the movie, and it's very relevant to my book. So, okay. I'm, I'm happy deal. for it to be. I feel uh, better. Our now. Subject. <laughs>
2: So now we'll maintain the fiction. The guy and I have not yet seen the movie, so we're now going to retreat to our secure, private Facebook chat room where we'll totally legally stream this film to each other and talk through it. <laughs> and then we'll be back to discuss it with you, Ravi.
0: Erica Albright's a bitch. Do you think that's because her family changed their name from Albrecht? Or do you think it's because I'll be you girls are bitches? For the record, she may look like a 34C, but she's getting all kinds of help from our friends at Victoria's Secret. She's a 34B, as in barely anything there. False advertising. (laughs) The truth is, she has a nice face. I need to do something to take my mind off her. Easy enough, except I need an idea.
2: So, Guy and I are now ensconced in our chat room and we'll be talking through the movie commentary style. If you'd rather just jump to the rest of our discussion with Robbie, there are bookmarks for this podcast that will allow you to do that, and we won't blame you at all. Well, just a little. (laughs) Well, Guy, as usual, it's probably just you and me in this rodeo now, but we gotta do what we gotta do. We'll give it a try. Contractually obligated. (laughs) The movie starts with a bar scene, and it's a famous scene now, actually. And I, I, for, I'll I, start right off and say I think it's worth thinking of this scene as a prologue to the movie. It's really like in Star Wars when you have the text crawl. Like, this scene is just mm. defining the rest of the movie. And then the movie really starts when the scene
4: ends. It definitely Gives you an initial impression of uh, Zuckerberg, too. Mm -hmm. So it's (laughs) very strong an impression.
2: (laughs) And the more I paid attention and, you know, watched this a couple times, and also I watched the background information. The other thing I want to say right up front for this movie is with the Blu-ray, the the behind-the-scenes stuff is unusually good for a major movie. I mean, you you know, the funny thing is a lot of times... Major movies behind-the-scenes stuff is often not very good. It's just the very market thing where they sat down the stars for 10 minutes and had them talk about the movie and, nah. you know, and they show you that. And independent films tend to be good because, of course, the independent film creators will spend a long time talking to you about what they were doing and, and what the film was about and everything— In this case, they did a really great job on the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Really interesting. And it really, uh, I had watched the film first and then I watched the the behind-the-scenes and then I watched the film again. And it really deepened my appreciation of the film. Hmm. And with that background, once you are aware of the flow of the film and then you go back and watch this first scene, literally everything in the movie is kicked off in this scene. And I think that's both interesting and I'm also gonna argue We will be talking with Robbie about this a bit. Aaron Sorkin is a really good writer. He writes really interesting dialogue, but also he'll do this, what I'm going to call on the nose stuff. And, there, and as we go through this scene, we'll talk about there's certain things that they're just there to be kind of clever and hooked to, on to later in the film, but they're really on the nose. And mm. I think, a, you know, a little bit embarrassing in my opinion, even though it's a really good <laughs> film. All right. So what is this scene we're talking about? Well, we open up with Mark Zuckerberg and his girlfriend, Erica, in a very loud bar, you know, college bar. Directorially wise, one of the interesting things about their approach to this scene is that they don't make it easy for you to listen. It's very loud. And it's really like you're sitting at a table next to them trying to listen in on their conversation and you can barely hear what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And it, and the interesting thing about that in movie-watching terms is it forces you to really pay attention and focus in so you can see what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we start out, and Mark is talking to his girlfriend, and he's saying, Did you know there are more people in China with genius IQs than there are people in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. And she finds this a little hard to believe, and they keep kind of going back and forth on this. One of the other reasons this scene is famous is because they did it 99 times. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, David Fincher is known for doing many, many takes. Mm. And when you combine many takes with the classic Aaron Sorkin, very rapid dialogue, you know, it's a real challenge for the actors. What we see right off in Zuckerberg talking about China and genius IQs and everything is that the Zuckerberg presented by this movie, which I think is different from the real Zuckerberg, is a brilliant guy who got a perfect SAT score. And also, and maybe this is the part where I'm not sure it's so real. He's obsessed with status, with how to Mm. get ahead of everyone else. And he's talking to his girlfriend about what are his strategies to get ahead of everyone else and to get noticed. And one of the things they talk about is that maybe he should try to get into a final club. Well, I have no academic background. I'm an uneducated schlub, white trash. (laughs) And I didn't know what a final club is. So I went to Wikipedia and now I'm going to do my, you know, like the, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Dictionary, you know, Galactic Dictionary reading of Wikipedia. (laughs) It says, the historical basis for the name Final Clubs dates to the late 19th century, a time when Harvard had a variety of clubs for students of each class year. During that period, Harvard College freshmen could join a freshman club, then a waiting club, and eventually, as they neared completion of their studies, a final club. Citation Needed. Hence, students of different years joined different clubs, and the final clubs were so named because they were the last social club a person could join before graduation. Mm. So there you go. Now we just need some of that, you know, janky animation that they had in (laughs) in Hitchhiker's Guide (laughs) to the Galaxy.
0: The Babelfish is small, yellow, leech-like, and probably the oddest thing in the universe. It feeds on brainwave energy absorbing all unconscious frequencies and then excreting telepathically a matrix formed from the conscious frequencies and nerve signals picked up from the speech centers of the brain. The practical upshot of which is that if you stick one in your ear you instantly understand anything said to you in any form of language. So, as
2: he's going on and on about what he can do to be noticed and everything, Zuckerberg clearly isn't able to read the signals that his girlfriend is giving him as she reacts negatively to his incredibly self-centered monologue.
4: Yeah, he's really screwing up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I don't, neither of us, right, are, are Lotharios, as they say, right, but we can probably even go, yeah, that's not too good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, it's kind of funny, once you know the plot, this is one of those little things I think is a little embarrassing. In the middle of their conversation, she randomly mentions that she has this attraction to guys who row crew. You know, crew being the, when you're on the the little um, Mm. canoes and and rowing that they do in these fancy schools. Which I I looked into as a result of this. And actually, it's a very, very difficult sport. So I don't want to demean it, but it is also a very, very high-end, you know, rich person (laughs) sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she just mentions randomly in this conversation that she's attracted to these people, and she says it's the same way you might have an attraction to cowboys. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for her to say this. It doesn't fit in at all. And the only reason for it is because they want to set up the fact that some of the villains of the movie, row Crew, then they want to set up this kind of motivation for Zuckerberg. Yeah. So again, I'm going to say it's on the nose. <laughs>
4: Or arguably uh, non-villains, depending on how you view it. Right.
2: Then she breaks up with him. She's not going to be his girlfriend anymore. And Zuckerberg, (laughs) once again, illustrating his cluelessness, and I can relate. I'm, I'm about this clueless. He says, wait, is this for real? If so, I apologize.
1: <laughs> it's like, well,
2: okay, if I need to apologize to get out of it, then that's what I will do. And we will stay together, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, he has a, a very uh, functional mindset of a computer programmer. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's true. If being broken up with, then apologize. <laughs> and her parting line to him, which will become very important at the end of the film, you're an asshole. <laughs> For my complaints about some of the writing, a very effective scene, really well done, really sets up the movie, really, really draws you in. I think um, Fincher, you know, did a really good job with this. And now we get the opening credits, and that's one of the reasons I say, really, this is where the film starts, right? That was just saying, okay, this is what this film is about. (laughs) Zuckerberg is brilliant and, you know, clueless about relationships and obsessed with status, and his girlfriend has broke up with him and called him an asshole. Now the film starts. And we had these beautiful shots of him running through the Harvard campus at night. And the score was done by Trent Reznor and his music partner. Really interesting. And it's one of those things where until I watched the background material, I didn't pay as much attention to realize just how interesting and unusual the score is. It's very dissonant, very different than any typical movie score. And in this case, while he's running through Harvard after having been dumped, we have this kind of simple and downbeat piano-oriented theme.
4: prisoner in some kind of rock band well yeah he
2: got famous in nine inch nails and then he started doing movie soundtracks and i i and he's really really good And I suspect, ultimately, he's going to be known as the guy who did these great movie soundtracks who was also in that band, (laughs) Mm -hmm, Versus where most people would, of course, think of it the reverse way. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing here about some of the shots we're seeing here, and there's some later on, is that the ones that were actually done at Harvard, well, it turns out that Harvard is very hostile to people filming on their campus. Mm -hmm. In the 1970s, a film crew damaged some of the trees on the grounds and they stopped allowing people to film so what they did even though this is a relatively major film is they did you know what's called guerrilla filmmaking they Mm -hmm. just went to the campus (laughs) and filmed without permission trying not to get caught and it's really interesting in the background material jesse eisenberg (laughs) talks about it because he says and this and at the time he did this film if you recall he had not yet been in superman and everything so he said look i'm not in big films i'm always in you know like million dollar films that are really small. So I'm used to us never having a permit and being shut down by the cops all the time. And to me, it's bizarre when we have a day when the cops aren't trying to shut us down.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's another point where they're filming an exterior at Harvard and there's one building that Harvard doesn't own, like in these blocks, because they own most of the buildings, even that just have bars and restaurants and everything. Mm-hmm. There's one private building that they could film from the top of because Harvard didn't own it. But they're filming a Harvard building and exterior. It's one of the most well-known entrances to Harvard, like the original that was there from the beginning. So what David Fincher (laughs) did was he hired a mime in full makeup to go into this courtyard and be doing his mime stuff while also having some electronics on him that was helping light the courtyard. And his idea (laughs) was if the cops show up, they're going to get all In you know, they're going to be dealing with his (laughs) mind. And in the meantime, we can finish our filming and they'll be distracted. That's guerrilla filmmaking.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I guess.
2: (laughs) Okay. So Zuckerberg runs across the campus, goes into his apartment on the campus, and he's upset. And he opens the fridge. And this being a frat boy's, you know, (laughs) college fridge, it's filled with beer. And he grabs a beer. Fires up a couple of his computers, you know, one on the side where he could do his blogging and and the one where he could do his programming. And he blogs on LiveJournal about what a bitch his his ex-girlfriend Erica is, including an extended discussion of her true bra size and about how she Mm. makes it look like her bra size is larger than it actually is. So, you know, not very nice. And this is, by the way, the stuff I'm going to talk about here, this is all true. I mean, this was all done and it's all there and it's all online. So
4: Erica is a real person or is she just kind of like a composite or uh
2: Well, you know, I don't know exactly. I don't recall exactly about actually getting broken up with. And, and in fact, one of the complaints I would have about the accuracy of this screenplay is that the reality is Zuckerberg had one girlfriend for a long, long time who he then married and that's who he's married to. So the film shows him, you know, trying to get girls and doing all this where... In reality, he had a very stable romantic life with one partner. But I, and I don't recall if he actually got broken up with. I think I think he probably did. But the stuff that he wrote that day is hmm. is true and, and is available. And so hmm. while he's blogging, sort of live blogging to live journal about how upset he is, he he gets an idea from his roommate to create Facemash, which is supposed to be a website that will let people rate women versus farm animals. <laughs> See which are more attractive. Now, yeah, so very classy. He gives up on the farm animals part, but he goes forward with the idea of allowing people to rate the attractiveness of different women on the Harvard campus with each other. To do this, he needs pictures of the women. And the way things worked at the time is you had these different clubs at Harvard in, in a college, like you would, and each club would typically have a website that would have pictures of their members. So he would go to each of these clubs Mm. and figure out how to hack it so he could download all of the pictures of women that were in
4: the club. Each of these sites is referred to as a Facebook. Right, right. It's basically what what in my past schools has been called a yearbook. Right,
2: absolutely. So,
4: of course, that's where the whole Facebook idea came from.
2: And one thing, is, so for all my complaints about the accuracy of the script and everything, this sequence is really interesting. Both it goes on a long time, and you hear him in voiceover reading his blog entries and talking about what he's doing. And it's all technically accurate, which is amazing. And the commands they even show him typing in are accurate. And since Aaron Sorkin has no interest in accuracy. <laughs> I assume somebody else who was technical mm-hmm. was responsible for this. But I've never seen a movie where a person was typing real commands into a computer, and for Live Journal, he was actually manually entering the HTML the way I used to do it. Mm. And everything he was doing was absolutely correct. I did not see anything that was incorrect, and I was really impressed by that.
4: I didn't notice what he was actually typing on screen, but he sort of narrates it as he's going along, like, okay, I'm going to have to open up Emacs and do this. Right. You know, and and the things he was seeing, I was trying to watch it as a movie and not a technical (laughs) manual, you know, but I mean, it all sounded plausible as it was going through there. Well, he,
2: he like, you know, he both mentions and he types the wget command, which is a Unix command to, you know. From the command line to grab the contents of a web page, and you know, yeah, and, and even the they were even when he did when he typed out wget, it, he was actually using arguments to that that were accurate. So that's where I was really mm-hmm. impressed. Now, my only complaint is that he was using Perl, and as a Python <laughs> guy, <laughs> I'll try not to have a comment on that. Now, in reality, at that time, Perl was really the best solution. I've spent my time in the Pearl Mines, but I'm never going back. (laughs) So after hours of hacking, and it's now like 2 a.m. in the morning, his friend Eduardo shows up to check on him because he read about the breakup on Zuckerberg's blog. And all Zuckerberg cares is that he needs Eduardo's algorithm for ranking chess players because he's going to use it for this whole ranking women thing. Eduardo uses a marker to write it on the window (laughs) of the apartment. And once the site is up and running... Zuckerberg emails out the URL and it's like about 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, but this being Harvard and presumably a weekend or Friday or something, students are partying all across the campus and they all start picking up on this. And so we have all these shots of students in different situations firing up this face mash URL and starting to compare the women. And they all seem quite happy to do so. One thing uh, interesting to me in the making of stuff that I wouldn't have realized and wouldn't have been able to tell is that all the computer screens, when they filmed it, just had blue Hmm. on the screen. So they composited in all those screens after the fact. And they did it really well, because I never would have realized that you weren't actually looking
4: at that content on the screen. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably a good choice, because usually I don't know so much about LED screens, but I know like If you see a living room where people were watching TV, and and that may, uh, again, that may be only the CRTs that I'm thinking of, but it used to be if people were watching TV and you saw that house from the outside, it would look like there was a blue light in there. Mm -hmm. So that that makes sense instead of, say, a green screen.
2: Right. People are starting to use the the site and... Then Harvard's IT security guy who's in bed with his wife gets woken up with a phone call. (laughs) They don't know what's going on, but there's so much traffic happening that it's about to crash the Harvard network. And he says, you're saying this is unusual traffic for four in the morning? And the guy who called him says, no, this would be unusual for halftime at the Super Bowl.
1: <laughs>
2: and I'm just going to say, boy, 2003 was a very different time for bandwidth. Because this is, in today's terms, this is a tiny little amount of traffic. You wouldn't you wouldn't take down the Harvard oh, network yeah. because a few hundred students are hitting a website.
4: <laughs> oh, sure. Although, for perspective, I, I remember when I first got on the Internet was when Windows 95 came out. Mm-hmm. You know, and we were using the, the modems back mm-hmm. then, the actual mm-hmm. dial up modems. So that this would have just been eight years after after that. So yeah. <laughs> well and
2: I started with three hundred baud modems, right? So you literally mm-hmm. as you were going onto a site, you would read the text as it came in <laughs> and then they went to twelve hundred and twenty four hundred and I felt like I didn't need more than a twelve hundred baud modem because I couldn't I couldn't read faster than that.
4: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did actually in the in the eighties. I very briefly used CompuServe, and I think it was a three hundred mm-hmm. baud uh, modem. <laughs> yep. So uh, I yep. got to experience that just a bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and indeed, the network does crash, and this results in a six month academic probation for Zuckerberg. <laughs> He's put in front of this whole board of all the IT people, and you know they're there to browbeat him. And he tells them he thinks that they should be giving him recognition because he's shown the flaws in their network. (laughs) A white hat hacker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, comparing animals to women are almost... (laughs) Now, at this point, the movie starts switching very rapidly between scenes at different times, you know, over the years, going back and forth in time. It's all anchored by scenes in a law firm's conference room where they're taking depositions for two different lawsuits after Facebook has become a big success. So because of the way it's structured, rather than describing every scene change, I'm just going to kind of go through the threads and talk about what was happening. So one of the lawsuits is brought by the Winklevoss twins, and these are these very good-looking, very healthy... Wealthy brothers who are tall, in excellent shape, because they are champion crew rowing people. And I I don't know the crew terminology, so I'm just throwing words in here. (laughs) Uh, Now, here's a question I have for you. Did you realize that the twins in this were played by the same actor?
4: No, I didn't. So they would have had to do some visual trickery.
2: Yeah. What they did was they hired two people to do it. One was Army Hammer. He's the one whose face you see. And they hired another guy. And then they decided to use Army Hammer's face for both of them. So the other guy had to choose, like, Mm. it was kind of embarrassing, right? You've been hired for this major movie for David Fincher, but your face isn't going to be in the movie. And he spent a long time thinking Mm. about it, but finally it's like, it's a David Fincher movie with Aaron Sorkin, and I'm going to learn a lot, so I'm going to do it, (laughs) even though it was a little embarrassing. And he looked very similar. (laughs) Honestly, they could have, and they almost did, they could have just gone with him because the two of them looked very close. But yeah, they they went through this whole complicated process where they would do each scene twice. Of course, they would do many versions of the scenes because that's what David Fincher does. One set of takes would be with Army Hammer as one of them. And the other guy's the other. Then they would switch it and do them all again. Hmm. And then in post-processing, they would replace the other guy's face.
4: Well, will be darned. Okay. And they did
2: it really well because, yeah, just, if you aren't told about it, you would have no idea. Well, yeah, that I, I, that that I
4: didn't catch on. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that's the best special effects. Oh, yeah. You see the CGI nowadays where they'll bring people back to life, so to speak, oh, you know, yeah. in like Star Wars movies <laughs> or whatever, and that. You know, that has its moments, but it's still not quite there yet. Yeah. But but this yeah. thing I never caught on at all. Yeah. Uh so the Winkelvoss twins are told
2: by their business partner and colleague about this student who crashed the network, and they realize he'd be perfect to do the programming for this project they've been working on.
4: Yeah, perfect in some ways. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So they track Zuckerberg down between classes and tell him that they have an idea they want to talk to him about. And, you know, it's funny the way they shoot this because Zuckerberg is relatively short in this, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, and these guys are really tall (laughs) and, you know, they're really good looking and, you know, obviously in a totally different class than he is. They are not normally people that he would talk to, but then they tell him that they row crew. And he suddenly expresses interest. And this is that whole thing of, oh, this is motivated because his girlfriend said she was attracted. This is the
4: payoff for that
2: earlier thing.
4: Which, (laughs) again, I just
2: think is a little bit silly, but okay. It's just not necessary. (laughs) You could have just left it out. But he's suddenly interested. So they tell him that their idea is a website called the Harvard Connection. And this will be a site where you can create a profile and interact with other people. And Zuckerberg immediately says, well, that's just MySpace or Friendster. But They say, well, no, we have one idea that really differentiates this. You can only be on this website if you have a harvard.edu email address. And harvard.edu is one of the most prestigious email addresses. And also, as they kind of admit, basically the idea here is that girls want to get it on with guys who go to Harvard. And so by having this site where you can only be on there if you're from Harvard, it's going to make you more attractive to the opposite sex. And they also say that because of what Zuckerberg did or almost did and blogged about with, you know, comparing women to animals and everything, that he's really unpopular with women on the campus and that they're about to take a fat paw out on him and that working on this site could help rehabilitate his image. Well, Zuckerberg immediately agrees to do it. He says he'll do it. Yeah, he <laughs> says he'll do it. Yeah. So that's the Winklevoss thread. The other thread is Eduardo. So Eduardo, we met a bit earlier, is Zuckerberg's best friend. He's a very smart financial guy. He's made a whole lot of money, and he's the head of the Investors Club at Harvard. And after talking to the Winklevoss twins, Zuckerberg goes to this other club's party. And it's this is, again, they're setting up a very obvious thing here, which is the Winklevoss twins and others are involved in these very high-end clubs that have very fancy parties, and you know would probably bring some well-known band and and that kind of stuff. And this is the Jewish club's Caribbean night party, <laughs> and it's the most uncool party you could possibly
4: have. Well, I, I I must dissent from that. Most <laughs> of them are wearing Hawaiian shirts, and there's nothing ever wrong with that. <laughs> well, I think you're making my point for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they all, you know, they have silly hats on and all this. And on top of that, when Zuckerberg sees Eduardo, Eduardo comes over to him kind of dancing in a very nerdy, (laughs) again, uncool way. So everything about this is to say, okay, these are the uncool guys. And Zuckerberg takes Eduardo outside to tell him about this idea he has for a website. But first, Eduardo tells Zuckerberg that he's been punched by the Phoenix. So the Phoenix is one of the cool clubs at Harvard and being punched means that he's being considered for membership he has to go through kind of a process
4: I think in less prestigious schools that's usually called pledging well mm-hmm. for, for fraternities anyway right. I guess this isn't technically a fraternity it's something even more creepy and sinister <laughs>
2: <laughs> and this becomes a big plot point in the movie and again I think they just fully made this up I don't I don't think it has much to do with reality. But Zuckerberg is clearly upset because he had talked to his girlfriend earlier about one of the ways that he could distinguish himself as joining one of these clubs. Well, now his uncool friend Eduardo is ahead of him in the process of joining a club. And this becomes Mm. very obvious from the beginning. And this whole thing about going after women and going after clubs is probably the most disputed part of the screenplay by people who were actually there. They say that, look, Zuckerberg and his friends were totally focused on programming the site and eating pizza, <laughs> they were not worried about clubs or girls. And so we don't know. I mean, I don't, we don't have any way to know what the reality is. But I, I think a lot of this yeah. was made up for the movie.
4: Yeah, I mean, from an observer's viewpoint, you could observe they weren't getting into clubs or getting girls. But <laughs> whether that was what they were hoping for or not, it's hard mm-hmm. to say maybe. But who knows? So,
2: funny point here in order to tell Eduardo about his idea for this website, Zuckerberg takes him outside because he doesn't want anyone else to hear. And it's very cold outside. And in fact, when they filmed it, it was very cold. And they have the scenes, you can watch the scenes in the behind the scenes of them filming it, but they weren't getting enough breath, you know, that showed how cold it was. So later they inserted CGI in this and a couple other scenes of breath coming out of their mouths. And this is considered in the special effects business as one of the most embarrassing uses of the CGI because this is a high-end movie with David Fincher and the mm-hmm. CGI of these breaths is terrible. I mean, once you realize that it's CGI, you just look and it's just like, it, it's not real in any way. <laughs> it's just it's like someone painted a you know cloud over the person's
4: face every time they talk. Mm-hmm. It's It's really bad. You know, I I didn't notice that at all. I wonder, I I watched it on, through Google Play, just because that was the Mm. route of least resistance. And I wonder if maybe they retroactively took the CGI out, or I was just oblivious (laughs) because I was trying to listen to the Well, it's one of the things
2: where maybe you wouldn't notice if you're just casually watching the film, but people who are in the business, right? You know, it's like, oh, wow, David Fincher did this. (laughs) 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 Nonetheless, Zuckerberg tells Eduardo he has this idea to do a website that will bring the college experience to a website. So you could connect with people and do all the things you do as part of college socializing. The key part is that it would be exclusive. (laughs) You have to know people on the site in order to get on the site. So it's uh, he points out it's sort of like getting punched for
4: one of these final clubs. Yeah, and then, of course, he's basically just, repeating the idea he agreed to work on for the other guys earlier in the day.
2: Yeah, and and again, we don't know what really happened, but I I think if it's true that the Winklevoss brothers gave him the key idea that then was the differentiating idea
4: for Facebook, they may have a point. Mm -hmm. At least in the context of the truth that the movie gives us or what the movie presents as the truth. In that context, at least, I think the Winklevosses or the Winklevi, Zuckerberg <laughs> calls them, yeah, I think I think they had at least something of the case. And, you know, there's—you you can argue that the intellectual property, you know, you can't steal an idea or you can't copyright an idea or whatever, yeah. But, you know, Zuckerberg did agree to something up front and then string him along, so, at yep. least as the movie presents it, but— Right. But I'm getting ahead of us, so never mind. And,
2: and the other side of that is they are also upper-class twits, right? but <laughs> they are exactly the kind of person yeah. he doesn't like and that you can, you know, it's easy to yeah, hate. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
4: they're, you wouldn't think of them as mensches. Although I was trying to think about it maybe just this morning. I was, sometime recently, I was trying to think about, did they do anything in the movie that made me genuinely dislike them i mean aside from just being upper class twits
2: mostly i think it's being pretty and wealthy <laughs> but no yeah. they didn't they didn't actually do anything <laughs> wrong they were just the wrong people <laughs> <laughs> so you know i'm judging them by their cover <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's it's i got it kind of how i re- recall it now yep so eduardo thinks this website is a great idea but he wants to know why Zuckerberg's telling him about it, since his Zuckerberg's roommates are programmers, and Eduardo's not a programmer. And Zuckerberg very practically says, I need money to get things going, and you can give me money. You'll be the CFO. You'll have 30% ownership. And one of the things we see here, again, as presented in the movie, is that Zuckerberg, in terms of friendships, is very practical. Like, I need this from you, <laughs> and therefore you're my friend, mm-hmm. and
4: now you should give it to me. You <laughs> know That is his... His approach <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had things taken a different turn later, this would be one of the great deals in history because it's a thousand dollars that mm-hmm. he wants from him for thirty percent ownership of Facebook, <laughs> right,
2: and as we'll talk about with Robbie, and you know, I'm sympathetic, I mean the first investments in Google were like ten thousand or a hundred thousand i mean these are relatively small amounts for you know what becomes a gazillion dollar company. If you don't have that person to give you a $1,000, you don't have a company Yeah, because you can't buy a server. You can't do whatever. So I think that someone putting in those initial amounts, even when they're small, is very important. Oh, sure. So as Zuckerberg gets to work on what's called the Facebook, he (laughs) strings along the Winklevoss twins for six weeks, keeps... They keep emailing him to see how things are going. He keeps putting them off, saying he has schoolwork and this or that. He's implying that he's working on the site, but he's not actually doing anything.
4: Yeah. they. I think we find out that they sent him maybe 36 emails, like give that, or yeah. take, and he sent back 15. And each one was like, oh, I'm going to have to meet my parents this weekend, or I'm going <laughs> to have to do this on Wednesday night. You know, he's just keeps keeps bumping, kicking the can down the road.
1: You
2: know? Right. And while he's working on the site, Eduardo is making his way through the punching process for the Phoenix. So we see a few amusing scenes of the ways that they do that. And finally, after having put off the twins for six weeks, as he said, Zuckerberg finally sends him an email saying, here's all the problems. I'm not going to work on this. And at the same time, he registers the facebook.com as a website. And in the deposition, we see they accuse him of having 42 days to analyze their system and make use of it in creating his own site. We have a great little interaction here. when Zuckerberg says,
0: Do you see any of your code on Facebook? I could Mark. You? Did I use any of your code? You stole our whole goddamn idea. Fellas. Well, match.com for Harvard, Can I continue guys. with my deposition? You know, you really don't need a forensics team to get to the bottom of this. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook.
2: <laughs> and... You know, again, as presented in the movie, I think the glass trends have a point. Yeah. So then we have all these scenes showing the rolling out of Facebook and the results of that. What happens is Zuckerberg is in a class, not really paying attention, kind of falling asleep, it looks like. And a fellow student who knows him asks him if a girl in one of his other classes has a boyfriend or is open to dating. He wants to know all this information about her. And this does this light
4: bulb thing for Zuckerberg. There must be a, a trope for this particular thing where, uh, you know, the eureka moment where he (laughs) he just shuts his laptop, leaps up, runs back without even answering the guy's question. Runs back to work on the last step of the the puzzle. (laughs) And Eduardo
2: shows up and he explains to him that the last step is relationship status. (laughs) What's it all about ultimately college? It's about trying to have sex or knowing if other people are having sex by knowing what their relationship status is. (laughs) And for the record, I'm in, it's complicated all the way. (laughs) (laughs) And as Eduardo and Zuckerberg discussed, at the end of the day, it's all about whether you're going to get laid. And then Zuckerberg does another one of these transactional things with Eduardo. He says, okay, this is the very last piece I needed. Facebook is ready to go live right this moment. I just need you to give me the emails of everyone in the Phoenix club. (laughs) Yeah, this is this is a big thing to
4: ask because he's trying to get into this exclusive club, and
2: right, and he's still in the process of applying. Yeah,
4: right, right. And Zuckerberg is saying, "Hey, let me spam all these
2: guys." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he just insists on it, and Eduardo gives in, <laughs> and Facebook goes live. A day or two later, the Winklevoss twins find out about. This And they're really, really pissed off because they realize they've been hoodwinked, right? While they've been waiting for Zuckerberg to do their site, he was actually off doing his own version of what they had proposed to him. Mm-hmm. So they call the family lawyer. And, you know, at this point, it's kind of funny because they're all upset. And at this point, Facebook has 650 users. <laughs> Modern parlance doesn't seem like it's too significant, but uh, Yeah. <laughs> And the guy who's their business partner says, I don't want to hire a lawyer. I want to hire the Sopranos to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think they, that line is also intended to put this at a point in time. Like, you're like, oh, okay, this is when the Sopranos was a big deal. Yeah. The twins, interestingly, fight over what to do. One of them is, you know, very aggressive and wants to just go after Zuckerberg, full guns, blazing. And the other one doesn't and says, we're not starting a knife fight in the Crimson and we're not suing anybody why? Because we're gentlemen of Harvard.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: gentlemen of Harvard don't do that sort of thing.
4: This actually helped me. I mean, I, I was already moderately favorably disposed towards the, the Winklevii just because they seemed like the wronged party from the way the movie had presented <laughs> it. At least to me, they did. And then he said, we're gentlemen of Harvard. Now, setting aside the fact that Harvard doesn't necessarily impress me a whole heck of a lot. I mean, just... <laughs> Just the fact that he had that sort of old-fashioned idea of mm-hmm. you know the honor and nobility, I thought oh, that's kind of nice. You know, I like yep. that. You know, maybe yep. a little on the naive side, but uh, still nice. You know, I liked it. Yep. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Facebook explodes in usage, and
2: now Zuckerberg is suddenly the biggest thing on campus. You know, everybody wants to meet him. And uh, interesting thing here in the deposition. The Winkelvoss's business partners describes the situation as, And Mark was the biggest thing on a campus that included
0: 19 Nobel laureates, 15 post Prize winners, two future Olympians, and a movie star.
2: An opposing lawyer asked who the movie star was, and, and they never say, and they kind of leave it as a mystery. And I was curious about this, so I looked it up. Mm. And it turns out there's an answer to this question. That movie star was Natalie Portman. She was attending Harvard at that time, and she was working on the Star Wars prequel films. Mm. And she's referenced here because when she heard that Aaron Sorkin was working on this, she contacted him and met with him and gave him a bunch of insider information about Harvard. Because Harvard, being very exclusive and very protective, it's hard to get information about them. So she gave him the information he needed. Hmm. And so this reference is in the movie specifically in a way to kind of thank her for that,
4: even though they don't name her. Oh, very nice. And that that actually was my guess. So I really? pat myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Did, so did you know she went to Harvard? Or? Yeah, back, back at the time, it was it was a big uh, celebrity gossip type thing. You know, I don't remember exactly how I found out about it, but I knew it anyway. <laughs>
2: So now that the site is taking off, you know, they have like 4,000 students on it at this point. Eduardo wants to start monetizing it, which means putting ads on it. And Zuckerberg refuses because he says, you know, the thing they have is the site is cool. If they put ads on it for, you know, if they put on pop-ups for Mountain Dew, it's not going to be cool. And he's not going to give up on that. I think both of them have a point. I mean, there's a point where you got to monetize something because, you know, it costs money and you got to make money somehow. And that's always been the question of the web, right? How do you make money? But Zuckerberg has a point, too. For anyone who was around during the early web days, you would have these things that were called portals, right? Which is very much like Facebook was trying to be. They wanted to be essentially Mm -hmm. your homepage that you would get to the rest of the web on, and they wanted to customize things for you and everything, which is, you know, very similar to what Facebook does even today. But all of those portals ended up becoming useless because what would happen is they would start out being useful, right? You would log in and the home page would be a bunch of stuff you were interested in and the links that you had archived and, you know, that sort of thing and the updates and you could see that. But because they needed to make money, what would happen over time is the portal homepage would just become a bunch of ads and you would have to mm-hmm. click two or three times to get to the stuff you actually wanted. They were literally hiding the valuable part from you because they wanted you to go through all the ads first. So that's why I say I think Zuckerberg Mm. has a point. If they were not careful, Facebook could have turned into one of those portals that was just a bunch of ads, and then people wouldn't have used it. The other thing for me is this is an interesting history of both Facebook and Google, which is the founders of both those companies up front felt like, oh, we're doing X, Y, and Z, and we're changing the world, and what we're definitely not is an advertising company. Hmm. Well, both Facebook and Google, what they absolutely are is an advertising company. So that's how (laughs) they make their money. They just refuse to accept it for a long time. And so they would even go to the extent where the people who are in charge of the advertising aspect, especially at Google, the company were demeaned and, you know, considered not a valuable part of the company, even though they were the ones making all the money for the company. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I think both of those companies understand, yes, we're an ad company and for better, for worse, (laughs) and, you know. They accept that. Yeah. (laughs) While they're having this conversation about monetizing, Eduardo stumbles across a weeks-old cease-and-desist letter from the Winklevoss twins (laughs) that Mark had never told him about. He didn't know anything about the Winklevoss twins. He didn't know anything about Mark working on this other project. And he says, did we steal their idea? And already at this point, I mean, we're at the very beginning, and again, as the movie presents it, Zuckerberg is totally mistreating Eduardo. He's not telling him what's up. He's hiding the stuff from him. He's, you know, his
4: responses are vague. Yeah, and especially since Eduardo was supposed to be the business guy, you know, he, right. he's he's the guy who needs to know about the cease and desist, desist <laughs> letters.
2: Exactly. And Zuckerberg says, look, the grounds for this are our thing is cool and popular and Harvard connection is lame. <laughs> He says, a guy who built a nice chair doesn't own money to everyone else who ever built a chair. They came to me with an idea. I had a better one. (laughs) And, you know, if that had been a real line of dialogue from Zuckerberg, I think, again, that's a little bit incriminating. Like, oh, these people gave me an idea, and then I improved on it, and I went and created this. It's like, well, wait, that's, yeah. (laughs) That means you use their intellectual property.
4: Yeah. And then
2: in the whole coolness thing and everybody, you know, being interested in Zuckerberg and Facebook, (laughs) Eduardo and Zuckerberg get serviced in a club bathroom (laughs) by two women they met. Um, This is a first for them, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think the women just sort of introduced themselves in the audience at a, was it Bill Gates talk? Yeah, Bill Gates talk, yeah. And after they emerge from the bathroom, Mm -hmm. uh, you see Eduardo looking kind of Dazed, uh, he says something like, uh, "We've got groupies." <laughs> it was just a cute little scene. Yep, sordid but cute.
2: <laughs> and in fact, while they're standing outside the bathroom waiting for the girls to get themselves together inside, Zuckerberg sees his ex, Erica, at a table with some of her friends, and he goes over to her and he wants her to come out with him so he can talk to her. And she's like, "I'm not going anywhere," <laughs> and she's very direct. I don't know if you heard about
0: this new website I launched. No. The Facebook? You thing? called me a bitch on the internet, Mark. That's why I wanted to talk to you. We on could the just... internet? That's why I came over. Comparing women to farm ends. I didn't end up doing that. It didn't stop you from writing it. As if every thought that tumbles to your head was so clever it would be a crime for it not to be shared. The internet's not written in pencil mark, it's written in ink. And you published that Erica Albright was a bitch right before you made some ignorant crack about my family's name, my bra size, and then rated women based on their hotness.
2: And she basically won't have any of it and shines him on. So then the Winklevoss twins and their colleague find out that Zuckerberg has decided to expand the site to other campuses. And they argue about how to stop him and talk about, well, he's violating all these laws, we think, and what do we do? And then they realize, you know what? He's violated the Harvard law. (laughs) And they realize, yeah, the student handbook that Harvard gives out to all the students has guidelines for how students are supposed to treat each other, which includes, you know, not stealing from each other. They're like, yeah, we've got it now. This is what we needed. We're going to Summers. So (laughs) Larry Summers, a well-known economist who's been part of the government, et cetera, was the head of Harvard at the time. And their colleague points out, you can't just get a meeting with Larry Summers. One of the Mingle Lost twins says, My brother and I, we pay tuition at this school. We carry a 3.9 GPA at this school. We've won trophies for this school. And we'll be rowing in the Olympics for this school. I want a
0: meeting with the goddamn president of this school.
4: <laughs> I thought when this first came up, I thought this was a great idea on their part. It seemed like a no-brainer. I... It reminded me of a book I read in high school. It was about a military academy that had a very strict honor code. It was a book by Pat Conroy, if I remember right. The Institute's code of honor is a
3: simple one. A cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. It is a simple code, but
1: it is a stern code.
4: Somebody did a very minor violation of, of the honor code, he siphoned gas out of a friend's gas tank and didn't ask for permission. And the friend didn't even mind after the fact, once he found out that it was his buddy who was just, he was poor and he was too ashamed to admit that he'd done it. But the uh, the upshot was that because he was too ashamed to just ask his friend for permission, the kid ended up getting kicked out or some similar bad thing yep. for violating the honor code. So I was expecting... There'd be at least some action on that <laughs> front here. But uh no, we'll, we'll see what happens <laughs> see, that does not come to pass.
2: <laughs> Since they're expanding out and Eduardo insists that they expand to Stanford as part of this, because you know it's in the Palo Alto area and they want to impress people in Silicon Valley. We now switch to a scene with a new character, Sean Parker, who's the founder of Napster. And he has just had a night sleeping with this young girl from Stanford. And through her, he finds out about Facebook and he's immediately fascinated. <laughs> and he's looking at the site, and and uh, you know, on the bottom of every page of the site, it says a Mark Zuckerberg production. And so he <laughs> says, I just need to find you, Mark Zuckerberg.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody somewhere in the movie comments on uh, how classy that is that it said the bottom. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, was, I was thinking of like a, a Spike Lee joint, you know, <laughs> should have said yeah, a Mark exactly. Zuckerberg joint. That would have classed it up even more.
2: Okay, so we're at the half point of the movie.
4: So the movie takes us back to Harvard. The Winklevoss twins are waiting in the anteroom of Larry Summers' office. Larry Summers is the president of Harvard and the circumstances surrounding his later departure are interesting and amusing in themselves, but that's a story for another time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Winklevi finally enter his office and he's on the phone with somebody and he says with a tone of contempt, (laughs) he says, undergrads, (laughs) (laughs) the whole scene to me, I've just about everywhere that I've been in contact with formal authorities, they've always been big on an open-door policy. You know, uh, you know, if you have something to say, you know, come in, the door's always open. You know, they were very open about that. And that is not Larry Summers' approach, <laughs> at least at least not, not in this movie. I don't know what he's like in real life. But they make their case that uh, a fellow student has violated what is pretty clearly laid out in the handbook and larry summers isn't impressed he's mocking them (laughs) they're telling him it's an an idea worth potentially millions of dollars and he says millions of dollars you might be letting your imagination run away with you (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean he's just he's arrogant he was formerly a treasury secretary and he holds that over their heads you know and uh the movie portrays him as a jerk, and I don't know if it's accurate, or maybe Aaron Sorkin just had a bone to pick with him. I don't know, but...
2: Well, my sense, you know, having read about him over time, is I think both he is a brilliant guy and he is a jerk, <laughs> so I think this <laughs> probably all makes sense. But to me, what was funny was the rationalization he used, they said, you know, the handbook says you can't steal from another student. And he said, well, but you didn't make that agreement with the other student. You made that agreement with Harvard. So, so that means you shouldn't steal from another student, but if they steal from you, that's okay. Because it's not, you know, it it made no sense whatsoever. It was clearly a, I don't want to deal with this, (laughs) which I understand. I mean, okay. A couple of students created a couple of websites and now they want, you who was the head of the treasury to get involved, like, uh, go
4: do your little kid
2: stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah he, he just blows them off. But it is, I mean, the plain text of the handbook does seem to suggest that they have a perfectly good case here, <laughs> to me at least. Who knows? Maybe I'm being too generous.
2: Well, the other problem I'd have with them thinking this is going to do anything is that in in legal terms, what are they going to do? It's not like the Harvard has some legal ability to cease and desist Mark Zuckerberg or anything like that. So
1: yeah, they could
2: send him a nasty note, they could even kick him out of the school, but they can't really take his website away from him or something. Yeah,
4: the only things that Harvard could do would probably be the things that are within its power to do. Yeah, <laughs> But they could at least give him the boot that would be satisfying, if nothing else. Yep. Oh, well. So that doesn't go over nearly as well as the Winkleby had hoped. And then we get to see a fancy restaurant and Zuckerberg is there and Wardo and Wardo's girlfriend and they're all there to meet this Sean Parker fellow and he shows up and as Wardo describes it it's a Seanathon <laughs> <laughs> Sean does most of the talking he's a he's a real kind of a slick salesman type guy Huckster, I guess you might call him. I'm not sure exactly what, but he's, uh, he talks a mile a minute and he's got bunches of ideas and he orders teenies for everybody <laughs> and multiple rounds of teenies. <laughs> <laughs> he talks a lot about what advertising strategy they're using and what, how they're making money and, you know, this sort of thing. They're not making money at the moment, of course. And he says that for the moment, that's good, you know, until you know what the thing is. You, you don't want to try to get ahead of yourselves.
2: Eduardo tries to get him to agree with him on the ad thing, but he totally agrees with Zuckerberg. An interesting mm-hmm. part of this scene is that what happens is he comes in, he doesn't know these people. So at first, he's treating them all equally. But in the mm-hmm. course of this conversation, he picks up on the fact that there's a split between zuckerberg and eduardo and eduardo is kind of the out person and then he zeroes in on zuckerberg Mm, and by the end he's only talking to zuckerberg and saying he wants to see Mm -hmm. him again etc and he's already frozen out eduardo and we'll see that just that theme just continues
4: through the rest of the movie Mm. yes it does (laughs) during this meeting he doesn't really overtly try to get into the company. Right. I mean, he's going to talk with Mark again in the future, but he doesn't really say, oh, I want to be a part of this. <laughs> you know, he's not really going that far. He leaves the restaurant and he does a little spin as he's leaving and he suggests drop the the. By that, he, he means the Facebook.com should be facebook.com. And of course, that's the site that we all know. And <laughs> have opinions about today. (laughs) In the dorm room, I guess it's probably Zuckerberg's dorm room. I I can't tell one of those Harvard dorm rooms from another. (laughs) Zuckerberg's angry because Wardo has done something to bring disgrace upon the Facebook. He engaged in forced cannibalism (laughs) and animal cruelty. And it turns out that this is maybe not quite as bad as that sounds because In the process of punching for Phoenix Club, Wardo had to carry a chicken around for a week and care for it and keep it alive. And the dining hall was serving chicken, and the live chicken was hungry, so he was trying to be a good guy, and he he fed chicken to the chicken. That is a a minor scandal. Yeah, it now. got
2: into the paper, right? Yeah, so the you know the Harvard yeah. paper, and this
4: is this is true,
2: by the way. So this actually happened, and of course it'll come up a little bit later, as
4: you know. But yeah, Wardo's argument in his defense, I think, is pretty fair. He says, "Well, don't fish eat other fish," <laughs> which is true. Yeah, I think birds might even eat other birds on occasion too. I'm not sure. I haven't done the research on that, but I. Uh, if I thought about it long enough. But birds are part dinosaur, and dinosaurs ate other dinosaurs, so there you go, <laughs> QED. But anyways, Zuckerberg also has a little scandal of his own, apparently, because he has an upcoming art paper to write, and his way of writing it is posting the artworks to Facebook and crowdsourcing the comments <laughs> on it. So he's he's going to write his paper based on all the intellectual discussion that he gets from his Facebook page. He's arguably cheating on his art paper, but oh well. Neither one of them strikes me as the biggest of scandals, but they're (laughs) they're upset about it. And then we see their intern competition, which happens late at night in one of the buildings of Harvard, one of the computer labs. They've got hackers arranged around a table. Each has his own computer (laughs) to work on. And uh, they also have... A bottle of liquor in the middle of the table and there are lots of reasons why one of them might have to do a shot i think it's like once every three minutes they right. just have and they to also do once it, every certain line period. of
2: code or a certain number of lines of code they write
4: that do a shot Yeah, you know? mm, yeah yeah they have they have a few different rules for when a shot is done but you could see that they might stack up pretty <laughs> pretty quickly but The first person to succeed in hacking their little test environment they've set up will get hired. I I don't know that the scene does a whole lot except to show you that this isn't IBM (laughs) they're hiring for. This is a a different kind of animal here. So during that dinner with Sean, he had recommended moving to California, and Zuckerberg was very enthused about that. And Wardo wanted to be a team player, so he's going to put in another $18,000 on top of the $1,000 uh, to support that move. And the next thing we see, most of the people, not Wardo, he's off in New York doing business stuff, but Zuckerberg and uh, some other folks, including their newly recruited hackers, are in Palo Alto. Now, here. You're Californian, is it Palo Alto? No, it's, it's Palo, Alto, Palo Alto, and I
2: literally live
4: next door to Palo Alto. No, <laughs> oh, okay, good deal. They're on the roof of the house that they're renting, and they're ziplining into the pool <laughs> from the chimney. The, the zip line's anchored to the chimney, and the chimney collapses. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, the current zipliner land safely in the pool, but the collapse draws the attention of someone from the neighborhood who happens to be Sean. (laughs) He's living across the street with his girlfriend, and I don't think it's explicitly said in in the movie, but given what we see of Sean, I wouldn't be uh, too terribly surprised if he had hooked up with this girlfriend so that he could be in that house across the street and wait for an opportunity to come over.
2: It is an awfully big coincidence that he would be across the street. One of the funny things from the making of is that, again, you know, David Fincher likes to do a lot of takes. So the chimney would collapse, and not, it's not only that the chimney is collapsing, but then the bricks go down and they go through and destroy a glass table. And so <laughs> you watch them do this the first time, and then he's... And then David Fincher's like, okay, let's reset and do it again. Well, reset means somebody's got to go up and rebuild the chimney, and someone else has to sweep up all the glass from the table, and then they have to go bring in another glass table, so they have to have all these like glass tables available <laughs> just for this. I mean, so it's you have no idea <laughs> just how much uh, is going on for some of these scenes.
4: <laughs> yeah, a lot of directors would sort of use different cuts of the <laughs> Like, take part of this and then splice it with part of that. But yep. uh, apparently that that's not how he works. So yep. More power to him. <laughs> Something to be said for perfectionism, I guess. <laughs> so it just so happens that Sean was in the neighborhood, and the next thing we see is that he and Zuckerberg are drinking in a very fancy nightclub. And Sean doesn't have a place to stay. He was living across the street with his girlfriend, but when we see him in the nightclub, He's looking for other digs. And as they talk, Sean is undermining Wardo. He's he's mm-hmm. talking a little bit of trash, nothing too on the nose, you know, but just kind of subtly getting some jabs in there. And he suggests to Zuckerberg that he can put Facebook on two continents. And Zuckerberg, he's very eager, <laughs> <laughs> almost pathetically eager, it seemed to me, although I could be could be remembering it in worse light than I should be, perhaps. I don't know. But he says, come and live with us. And it's a done deal. Sean is now living in the <laughs> Facebook house. <laughs> which Sean is like hell
1: on
2: Earth. <laughs> Some behind the scenes on this scene that I thought were really interesting. So, you know, it's, a, again, sort of like that opening scene where they're in the bar. This is a very loud environment with all, you know, all these lights and mirror balls and that kind of stuff and people dancing, et cetera. And they're having to yell to hear each other. And it's really interesting to watch how they film this, because they'll do the scene in several different ways. So they'll do it with everyone being as loud as they can, you know, all the, the extras and everything. But then they, they need to record it with just the dialogue and not the other sound. So they'll turn off the music, and they won't have extras make any noise, but the extras have to be dancing and stuff. So they're sort of, whew, Mining what they're doing and in the meantime and this is the really weird part about watching it when they're talking to each other they're still yelling as if the music and everything was going and i think this is one of the interesting <laughs> things about <laughs> being an actor is it's one thing to think oh you have to remember your lines and you have to do this and that and you have to show an emotion. It's like now, you know you have to redo exactly the same this thing you were doing without music but still yelling as if the music were there you know it's re- just really interesting to see what what's involved in this sort of thing
4: well, that sounds neat. <laughs> I'm going to have to see if Google Play uh, throws in any of that <laughs> uh, special features stuff, because I, uh, I enjoy it. I think
1: sometimes. these
2: days they do more often. I mean, it used to be that you, you had to get the DVD or Blu-ray to get the special features, but it's more likely now. I know certainly mm-hmm. Apple TV does, right, where
4: they'll have the special features as part of it. We go from the nightclub to Britain, and the Winklevi, <laughs> <laughs> as Zuckerberg calls them, are... In a rowing contest there. And they do quite well in it, but they lose by a nose. It's a very, very close race. After the contest, after they've they've lost by the tiniest bit, they meet Prince Albert, who is not in a can. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an that's an old old joke <laughs> I'm
2: I have there. actually when I was a kid and I I hate the ideas now, but actually with a friend of mine did a prank call where we called up <laughs> a store and asked if they had Prince Albert in a can, and they said, well, let me check. And literally, it took them five or ten minutes to go off and check, right? So, they really were looking, and they came back and said, <laughs> oh, yes, we do. And then we said, oh, you should let him out. And, then we like, oh. and now I'm like, wow, we really abused some poor employee who had to spend ten minutes going
4: in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But you did at least execute the joke properly. <laughs> And the next time that person got that call, they wouldn't have to go yep. looking for it.
2: <laughs> of course, the next time they were probably really out looking for it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so the Prince Albert uh, doesn't have uh, doesn't have much to say except uh, some uh, well-meaning but. Uh, inadvertently insulting <laughs> <laughs> lines, but the Winklevosses survive. And then the the host family they're staying with one of the men from the family. I don't. It, it's not clear if he's the the father of the family or just one of one of the people in the family. He's talking about how his daughter and her friends all know the results of the race already, which surprises the Winklevosses. He explains that. It's Facebook. He says, do you have this in America? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. And they're like, wait, you have Facebook here in Britain, right? Yeah. They they didn't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. They, this is a revelation to them. And it, it's shocking enough that it ends up being the straw that broke the camel's back. They decide at that point that they are going to put all that gentleman of Harvard business to bed. And they're going to gut the little nerd. <laughs> Back in Palo Alto, Wardo returns from New York. And it takes him a while to get back to the house because while Sean is there watching uh, underage girls play <laughs> video games and do bong hits, Zuckerberg was supposed to be picking Wardo up from the airport, but he took a nap mm-hmm. instead. I guess he'd been doing a lot of work on <laughs> and, Facebook. And this is uh, pre-Uber, so... <laughs> <laughs> but somehow Wardo finally made a To the Facebook house. And it's not really a happy reunion. Starts off, Sean belittles his advertising success, which was minimal. Wardo didn't really recruit a lot of big clients. And then Zuckerberg ticks Wardo off because he implies that he's more impressed with Sean than with Wardo. And that That kind of stings, understandably.
2: There is one little moment where the two of them are in a hallway, no one else can hear them, and Zuckerberg says, I need you here, and then he pauses and says, don't tell them I told you that. (laughs) So there's this Mm -hmm. little bit of vulnerability where Eduardo is still his friend that he trusts, but he's still Mm -hmm. treating him like crap, and this is the last time that he even at all, you know, does or says anything honorable towards Eduardo.
1: (laughs)
4: There are consequences to all this, because aside from the one you just mentioned, uh, from the consequences to all the less flattering things that they do, because Wardo goes to the bank, freezes the account, whatever's left of the $19,000 in the account, and he freezes lines of credit. So Facebook is effectively dead in the water, financially speaking, but they're in the Peter Thiel's office, is it Thiel or Thiel? Thiel, okay. He invests half a million dollars. So that's going to be a little more helpful, perhaps, than the 19,000 that's frozen now.
2: This happened because of Sean, right? Sean knew Peter Thiel. Right. So this whole deal happened because of him, yep.
4: Yeah, Sean has has the connections. There's a little bit of insult to injury here, although Wardo wasn't around to see it. Peter Thiel asks who Eduardo Saverin is and the answer is sort of becoming clear okay. he's uh, to the rest of the folks at Facebook he's not really much of anything yeah. which is too bad cuz he's he's actually probably I think he may be the most likable character and that may be just the way the script was slanted. Right. Uh, we don't know what the truth is.
2: Eduardo is the only one who cooperated with the person who wrote the book, on which the movie is also based. But nonetheless, you know, all along in the screenplay, he's just trying to help. He's constantly offering his help to Zuckerberg. And Zuckerberg is constantly just using him in the moment for whatever he needs, but n- never going any yeah. further than that,
4: you know. Right. So, this just another... Another bad thing for Wardo <laughs> and in Wardo's apartment, his girlfriend <laughs> is not happy, and that's the woman <laughs> that
2: originally had uh, had talked to them in the Bill Gates audience and then serviced him, and now is his girlfriend, you know, so she' sort of have this arc through
4: <laughs> the whole thing and she she was at the dinner with uh with Sean right with Sean, yeah, yeah, so she's she's been around through the whole thing, but she's a little keto. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is that point where you discover, oh, just because
2: she's pretty doesn't mean you should get involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. Y- you might want to get a reference check or two.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She uh she's understandably angry that he didn't answer her calls. But on the other hand, I think she says she'd made like 49. A lot of text, <laughs> and he didn't answer them. And then, even though he is the finance officer of Facebook, he didn't know enough about how to use Facebook, or, or she doesn't believe this, <laughs> although it seems to be true. He didn't know enough about Facebook to set his status to in a relationship. Yep. <laughs> and
2: So this is one of the things where there's nothing he can do that's right. I mean, you know, okay, he ignored her text, so that's a problem. But clearly, she's on the warpath, like everything.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Yeah. And then he shows her the gift he bought, which uh, is a scarf. And she says, have you ever seen me wearing a scarf? (laughs) It's, yeah, one of those nothing nothing he does. Yeah, his response doesn't help, though. And, you know, not answering the text, I can understand. Right, but his response (laughs) to the scarf
2: thing doesn't help. He says, well, this will be the first time.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thinking a little too logically under the circumstances, I guess, but. Anyway, he gets a fall to a fall. He gets a phone call to to interrupt all that. It's an angry Zuckerberg. He's asking about the accounts that were so recently frozen. Uh and he's you know he he's upset, and he uh, uh, I think he says something like, "Is this what a friend would do?" I, I don't know the exact quote, but it's basically uh, trying to. Trying to put a guilt trip on on Wardo uh where it's it's Zuckerberg who has right. been doing the Well and it's Wardo saying,
2: Look, I couldn't get your sort of attention. Things. This is the only thing I could do that would get your attention, right?
4: Yeah. And while this conversation <laughs> is going on, um the girlfriend is lighting a fire in a trash Well, she can. actually
2: takes the <laughs> the box with the scarf in it <laughs> and she sets it on fire and puts it in the trash mm. can on
4: the bed, yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. So it's uh, it's literally it's literally a garbage <laughs> fire. And uh uh Zuckerberg uh tells Wardo about the Peter Thiel's investment in the company, uh, which gives Wardo the perfect opportunity to break up with his <laughs> crazy girlfriend. So, there's kind of a right. happy end but,
2: but again business wise, you have this unhealthy relationship where wait, the c t o of the company, the head of the business, is being told after the fact that Peter Thiel has made an investment
4: I mean, yeah, 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 that's not really how these things are supposed to go <laughs> yeah. yeah so sean Sean has very quickly insinuated himself into the into the company, yeah.
2: And this part, I will say, is true. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has made statements publicly saying that Sean Parker really helped them and really helped them turn it into a true company and everything. Mm. So there really is an element of truth
4: here. Yeah, I can believe it. I mean, Sean Parker, he he doesn't come across as the nicest guy, but he, he comes across as a a clever guy and certainly a guy with a lot of contacts from his previous experience in the finance and all that.
2: And he just came in and looked at the situation and saw what was going on, which is something Zuckerberg has started. So he didn't like create the rift. He just sort of took advantage of it. But also you have to admit, you know, I mean, again, I mean, well, I think Eduardo absolutely gets screwed over as we'll talk about in a moment, but Eduardo was off talking to nickel and dime advertisers in New York. Sean was getting them Peter Thiel, right? Right. So there is something real there. Oh
4: sure, yeah, yeah. He definitely, at least in the movie's portrayal, that, and from what you say in real life, he helped the company become the colossal monolith <laughs> <laughs> that it did. So anyway, we get to see Eduardo signing papers regarding his relationship to facebook you know making everything more formal and official and uh eduardo's share has been increased a bit uh it's like 30 to 34 percent or something like that because him being a finance student he understands that it may have to be the stock may have to be diluted later which is to say They'll have to have more shares of stock so that they can give them to other people who want to get in on it.
2: Yeah. Campaign. And there's a really sleazy moment here because when they say, oh, we had to, you know, increase your shares and all this, he's like, oh, because you're going to have to dilute it later. And the lawyers are like, oh, we love working with a smart businessman. You just understand everything. I mean, they're totally buttering him up and this is <laughs> going to come into play later.
4: Yeah. He signs the documents without consulting a lawyer, but as he very reasonably points out in just a moment, he thought they were his right. Because yeah, because he's working for
2: Facebook, and these are Facebook lawyers, so he's thinking that they're representing yeah. him. Yeah, and that that is a valid question. Yeah.
4: And then the next scene is the deposition room, you know, the modern day, so to speak, <laughs> where Eduardo admits that he didn't see this coming. You know, he he probably should have known better, but he thought they were his lawyers. You know, he didn't get a lawyer because he thought they were his lawyers. And he says to Zuckerberg, I was your only friend. And that's that's true from what we've seen yeah. throughout the movie.
2: And it's, it's one of those emotional key points in the movie, right? mm mm-hmm. And we'll see in a bit why why we're
4: saying he was so screwed over. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> in San Francisco, Sean sends Zuckerberg into the office of somebody that he had been I think it's somebody he had worked with Napster on before. He had been a an investor, a venture capitalist. You're right. He he felt screwed over by this person. Right. So Zuckerberg is supposed to go in and tell this potential investor. Instead of trying to uh, make a good deal with him, he's supposed to tell him, Sean Parker says, F you. <laughs> right. Oh. Well, and he's also, he has him
2: going in in a robe and slippers, and he's going to say he didn't have time to get dressed, and he's going to put, so the whole thing is to <laughs> to kind of draw the whole thing out and then do this this message to them, right?
4: <laughs> yeah. I think they're showing up uh, pretty late. Also, right. Yeah. So just everything that he could orchestrate to make it as insulting as possible.
2: And I have no idea this is true or not, but you know, but in the movies' terms, they're showing that Zuckerberg is willing to really go to almost any length to please Sean. I mean, he's just in his, you yeah, know, yeah, in his sway, as they say.
4: <laughs> and in the deposition room, now this is where I have to confess that what as I was writing writing up my notes, I referred to a movie script <laughs> for this, and I don't remember this being in the movie when I watched it, but the script says that this stunt impressed that investor and he ended up investing. What definitely I do remember was that Wardo went out to see their new offices, but it was actually what he calls an ambush. It turns out that Wardo's share was really diluted more than he could have anticipated. He went from having 34% of the company To 0.03% of the company. (laughs) Right.
2: What he didn't realize was that everyone else, you know, Zuckerberg and Sean and the other people who were involved, they got what's called Class A stock. So that had its own criteria. He got what's called Class B stock. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have Class A stock, when they add more shares, your stock is not diluted. But if you have Class B stock, when they add more shares in order to bring on more investors, yours gets diluted. So that's what he had missed was he didn't realize that he was being treated in a different class than everyone else.
4: Hmm. Yeah. And then 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 everyone else. Zuckerberg, yeah. Sean. Wardo was the only person, at least as the movie presents no, it, he was it, the yeah, one person yeah. who got screwed over in this way. Yep. So Sean ends up kicking Wardo out. They have some words, but the upshot is he kicks Wardo out and he gives him a check for $19,000 just to twist the knife. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the check is uncashable because the account was frozen by Wardo.
2: Right. <laughs> but part of this, also, which is another key scene in here, is that Eduardo comes out of the conference room with the lawyer who's just told him what's been done to him and he goes to Zuckerberg. And Sean says, oh, you can't talk to him. He's in the zone, which in the movie means that he's in this, you know, programming zone thing. And he can't be distracted. And there is kind of a reality to that, Mm -hmm. but I don't don't buy. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense here. But nonetheless, Eduardo goes over, Mm -hmm. takes his uh, Zuckerberg's laptop and destroys it.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) And then Eduardo says, you know, (laughs) I'm coming back for the entire company not just for my part but for the entire company so at this point he's really <laughs> finally you know kind of standing up for himself
4: yeah no that's uh i mean under the circumstances i think i might be a little bit hot under the collar <laughs> myself one fun little thing is that wardo feigns a punch like he's gonna go at sean and, and sean flinches but yeah, you know, he doesn't actually wardo doesn't actually punch him but But once Sean flinches, Wardo gloats a little bit. He says something to the effect of, uh, yeah, I look brave standing next to you. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. That's kind of cute. And then they reach the one million member mark. And and I think this is actually just moments after Wardo leaves the building. I mean, they're refreshing the, uh, the member count periodically. And then they refresh it, and it's no longer six digits. It's seven. (laughs) It's cause for a party and they have the party at a frat house. (laughs) And Sean makes some tactical blunders. (laughs) First of all, he's got underage attendees at the party and he's got cocaine on his hands when the police do the raid. Yep. So he calls Zuckerberg from jail and, and Zuckerberg says he'll handle it, but he's obviously not not pleased at all
2: yeah it's clear from how they stage us and everything this is the point where the relationship flips right which is now zuckerberg is the top person and sean is not because he's done
4: something that will harm facebook right right sort of zuckerberg coming into his own yep and fortunately he has just received his shipment of Business cards that say, I'm the CEO of Rich.
2: <laughs> which was something that, a phrase that Sean had said to him early on in the movie, right, that he wanted him to get to, yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so now the, now the student has become the master. Yeah. <laughs> as Darth Vader once <laughs> said. <laughs> so now we get to the last scene, which is in the modern-day deposition room. And it's only Zuckerberg and the uh, assistant lawyer he's been talking with throughout the movie. Of course, he asks her out, but she declines. She tells him what's coming up next, that the cases will be settled out of court just to keep it out of the media.
2: And I think part of what she either says or implies is that the reason they're going to have to settle these out of court is that they can't put Zuckerberg on the stand. He's so unlikable. He will lose Mm. these cases, even if he (laughs) legally, you know, would be in a better position.
4: Mm. (laughs) Although, uh, as some consolation, she does say, uh, you're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be. (laughs) His final act in the movie is to go on Facebook and make a friend request to Erica, the girl who started the whole movie off and broke up with him and stuck to her guns when he next saw her about halfway through the movie. He sends her a friend request, and then rather pathetically— <laughs> I was trying to come up with a synonym for that, but <laughs> that, that's <laughs> Le juste, I think— sits there just refreshing the page, <laughs> waiting to see if she has answered his friend request. Okay. So now he has he has become the, the addict of the monster that he created. And he's also lost the potential love of his life. So, pretty sad for him. And then we get the little epilogue subtitles that come up, like at the end of Animal House, you know, we get a little summary of how everybody did. The Winklevi got $65 million and placed sixth in the Olympic rowing competition. So, they did it all right. $65 million, I'd, I'd take it. Uh, Wardo got an undisclosed amount, and he got his name restored to the Facebook masthead as a co-founder.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing he got a lot. Oh. I mean, if, if it was undisclosed <laughs> after the Winklevoss got $65 million,
4: that means it was probably a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm guessing he's not hurting too bad. Facebook, at the time the movie was made, had 500 million members and was valued at $25 billion. They hadn't even got started yet. (laughs) Yeah. So Larry Summers, all his vast treasury experience didn't help him predict that one. And Mark Zuckerberg, at that time at least, and probably still today, uh, for all I know, was the youngest billionaire in the world. Yeah. The end.
2: (laughs) Okay, so let's go talk with Robbie
4: about this. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs)
2: When you're browsing Facebook while watching a film, it's almost like no time at all has passed before it's over. So we're back. So you kind of already said it up front, Guy. But what?
4: Uh, let's make it official. What did you think on
2: your first viewing of this film?
4: I liked it. I, uh, I I found myself getting into it and getting interested in it a lot more, a lot more than I thought I would. And I found some of the characters at least somewhat more likable than I anticipated. Yeah, it was worth watching. I liked it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with Aaron Sorkin and, and and with this film, so I'll get into some of that as we go along. So, Robbie, I, I think you kind of implied there was a difference, maybe some difference between when you originally watched it and now. Is there a change in your opinion? No, I
3: mostly think it really holds up quite well. My opinion of the film hasn't really changed. It's interesting, the, the shift in, it has to kind of human have characters right it, but movies mm-hmm. have characters they can't like right. be about a thing <laughs> like like facebook is not a sentient is not a, like it doesn't have goals mm-hmm. and motives so it has to be about zuckerberg and like you right. know it's kind of a it's a kind of a courtroom procedural i mean they're not in a courtroom but an arbitration or whatever whatever <clears> system <throat> they're doing right i i think it's funny how that their whole uh about how Facebook is cool, and like we don't, and, and the part of the early feud <laughs> that they're having is about selling ads or whatever. Because right. Eduardo wants to monetize it more quickly, and Sean Parker thinks that's crazy, and and you know Mark feels so justified, and but of course, like now Facebook is like the least cool social media site <laughs> yeah. you can envision. We call it mm-hmm. Boomer Book, right? Because it's right. it's where your it's where you're, your your <laughs> uncle who's interested in some very odd ideas about what's going on in the capitalist think is like is there and you kind of avoid it and it's it's in some ways i think a very weak social media site but it's just the the and it, it can change like that like 10 years ago it was you know it was cool it was the cool thing
4: right. mm-hmm. they made a usability change probably a little under a decade ago where it used to be that on your newsfeed, you'd see everybody who was your friends, you'd see their latest posts in the order they were posted. And then they started getting clever with it and leaving some people out and promoting other Mm -hmm. things. And that was when I started to sour on it a little bit.
2: This is something you touch on in your book, Robbie, which I think is really interesting. So I personally actually, so first of all, I'm going to defend Facebook from the perspective of, for all of their issues, it is how I connect with family and friends who live across the world. Mm -hmm. And if I and I've had this happen, I've had someone who was a colleague and a friend and he got pissed off at Facebook and he left and he just disappeared. You said, Robbie, in your book that you tried using Twitter without the algorithm.
3: Yes, it is horrible. It is unusable. I dare you to find a person on Earth who prefers it. They're probably a sociopath if they do No, I, I'm joking, but it is no on Twitter. You can change it to instead of where it tweaks it. And it shows you things it thinks are more relevant. It's still only on Twitter. It's only showing you content from people you follow, you know, the things mm-hmm. they've tweeted or retweeted or shared, but it doesn't, sh- it's not a chronological progress. It's not just the most recent, you know, it will show you things from 14 or 19 hours ago, if it thinks you want to you, you'd be highly likely to engage with that content. And people get annoyed about that, but in my opinion, and I I bet 99% of people would end up agreeing with me if they tried it both ways, it's better. If you Mm -hmm. just get the chronological in order, it's not as good. It's just because because Hmm. Twitter and Facebook are learning about you. I mean, and that's not, that sounds scary. And that sounds like, you know, well, then next they're going to terminate us or something, but it's (laughs) learning about you in order to show you things that are more relevant to your interests, things that it knows you will want to see and engage with. And it and it gets it wrong sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it's showing you things, like, why am I keep seeing this person? Yet it just Rewind. they showed up first, and maybe I you clicked it, or maybe or maybe you just had your phone open and you weren't looking at it. And the amount of time you spent looking at this one post, mm-hmm. or that it thinks you were looking at for this one mm-hmm. post, might mean it's going to recommend you more content from this person. But uh, okay. but it's still but like when I watch television, I see advertisements. For things that are totally irrelevant to my interests. No, sure. On Facebook, you get advertisements for things you might actually buy because it knows what you like and it knows what you bought before. And Mm. and it like it's better. It's just better.
2: Well, what I would like Mm. is an in-between place here, because so I, you know, I agree, probably like you say the absolute just chronological order thing wouldn't work, but I need it for certain people. So I need to see everything that my girlfriend posts. Because if I don't see it, I might get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I would like to be able to have well, some control. Well, you, you over can that. create a yeah. you
3: can create a list on Twitter. You can create lists of people, or like you, uh, where and then you see all the content from them.
4: Yeah, I I did some research on it when they made those changes, and it was like, oh, you can go in to individual people and set them to see this person all the time. But I'm like, I I got 200 friends. I'm not going to do that for 200 <laughs> friends.
2: Okay, so getting back to the movie a bit, let's talk about some of the actors here. So in the process of the reporting you've done and everything, Robbie, you must
3: have seen a lot of Zuckerberg. What do you think of Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal here? Jesse Eisenberg does a really good job. He's a really good actor. I don't know that the character he's playing is so true to, Zuc- mm-hmm. to Mark Zuckerberg. I I don't know. I didn't. This was not a heavily. This was not a book that like I didn't like spend a lot of time with Mark Zuckerberg or something, but. From watching all of his interviews and how he talks and comports himself, I mean, he—he's Jesse Eisenberg makes him seem like more like overtly Machiavellian.
2: <laughs> Here's a question I had because it's a little bit interesting that the script in the movie portrays Zuckerberg simultaneously as being kind of a Asperger's mm-hmm. autistic person who doesn't care about things. On the other hand, he is extremely emotional in an immature way, right? Like in the movie, like if someone, if he perceives a slight from someone, he's going to put in place this long-term plan to undermine them. And, you know, (laughs) I just, I don't know how real that is. And I don't, I don't even know that that can be real. It's like you're both completely disconnected from humanity and extremely responsive to emotional things.
3: Yeah, I mean, he does. I know that in real life, Mark Zuckerberg likes watching people play Civilization. On it, like he watches videos of people play Civilization. So he, <laughs> he, like, he is a nerds' nerd type person. He's a you know, a, but also he, you know, over the last decade, as he's become a gazillionaire, that gives you access to all sorts of. Like he, you know, he was he was a nerd. He was a dork when he started this company. Right. Now he probably has eight hundred personal trainers, right? He he can he 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 surfs. <laughs> he look like he looks right. more like a cool. Like he done a makeover for himself that that, right. that is not the portrayal <laughs> that Eisenberg's doing because it's before that. Yeah, I've never met the guy, so I can't <laughs> well, can't comment. <laughs> I also feel like, and I have spent
2: my career with some of the you know richest and most well-known people in the world, and. I feel like when you get as successful as he did, as young as he did, a real risk is that whatever your oddities are, and we've all got them, you get to structure your life around that. You get Mm. to, you know, and you only have people around you who are going to reinforce whatever your oddities are. And I feel like the benefit of not getting successful until you're later in life and, and having some real failure early in life is that you get the edges shaved off and you get some reality checks and you get some humility. Mm -hmm. But you can't have that if you're someone like Zuckerberg who never really had failure and then could only construct his own world around him. And Bill Gates had that too. Mm -hmm. It was a benefit for Steve Jobs, who I worked with, where he had a huge amount of success, but then he had a huge amount of failure that really tempered that. And I would argue is why he was able to be successful when he came back to Apple.
4: Well, I think, in general, it's good to get some learning in the school of hard knocks. <laughs> that definitely definitely uh, gives you some perspective.
3: Well, the film has a very anti—actually, this is another thing I admire about the film. It has a very anti-formal education, kind yeah. of like the—I the, mean, they drop out of Harvard, and that's right. that decision is not really—it's— It's, it's It's glorified and then it's never really like the film doesn't circle back to that and be like, oh, yeah, that was a bad idea or like it it, like the film endorses Mm -hmm. doing that very much.
2: And and now I'm biased because I never got a serious education, but there is something interesting and maybe not coincidental that many of the major people in Silicon Valley, Larry Ellison, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, all dropped out of college because they had this idea and they went for it. And then you look at another story that I'm obsessed with, which is Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, where she did that, but went down a very dark, different path. Mm-hmm. And she, and because she had dropped out, she didn't know what she was doing, which then sort of required her to engage in fraud. So So it's like... Uh, It's not that you should always drop out. Maybe if you're going to create a medical company, you should stay in college long enough to learn (laughs) what that's about.
3: (laughs) That's fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scamming going on in the higher education sector though. It's, it's a, it's you know, there's so much, I mean, people, these people go into debt for promises that, you know, that this is going to, oh yeah, yeah. Take out more debt, spend more time in college, you know, go get this degree. It'll be great. And then, they're not qualified to do anything <laughs> because the what the, what they've studied is not valued right. by employers and, right and you and All you right. feel bad and i feel bad for people because the college absolute, like the admissions people and the, like they they encourage you to do that they think they don't cuz they that's how they make money so
2: right that's yeah, oh, sure <laughs> So we have an early Andrew Garfield here, who later became somewhat controversial, the second Spider-Man, playing Eduardo Saverin. Hmm. But I think he got a lot of kudos for this. What did you guys think of him?
4: I liked him. It he, uh, he, he was, uh, like I said earlier, he's he's really the one character who most comes across as a good guy. Even though, as we discussed, that may be uh, the bias of the movie makers, because he was the one who cooperated with them.
3: yeah. I think he does a good job. I don't know that I like the character, and I'm not, sh- and I can't quite. So are we talking about the acting or the why. character? What? No, the character. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting. The acting is fine. I have not seen the his Spider-Man movies. I have not seen them, but I understand that people don't like them. But I don't know if if they don't like them because he did a veg. Bad- I thought it was sort of everything else in the movies right, right. are not great. Right.
2: Well, now I do have a defense of the character though or it or the real person perhaps which is he made this whole thing possible by putting up his own money in the beginning Mm -hmm. and to my knowledge and i did read the book this was based on and so i'm just going off of that and you know other things i've read but to my knowledge they really did screw him over the way it's represented in the movie where they got him to sign a contract that deceptively implied he had a certain percentage of facebook and when he really wasn't going to have that percentage and he Mm. did make absolutely the mistake of not getting it checked but it's because he trusted them
4: he yeah (laughs) it's a famous line from animal house
3: (laughs) come on founder you can't spend your whole life worrying about your
2: mistakes you fucked up You trusted us (laughs) (laughs) and i have a real sympathy and i have to admit i'm someone who's occasionally helped friends out who are starting companies and stuff Mm -hmm. the person who made that few thousand dollars available in the beginning who made this whole thing possible they really do deserve a return on that because zuckerberg wouldn't be where he is if he didn't have a friend who gave him the twenty thousand bucks or so you know, to get this whole thing going, right? The difference between zero and mm-hmm. 20,000, when you're talking about servers and computers and, you know, and all that is, is everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it's interesting that the film doesn't, because it's not just the two of them, the Saverin and Zuckerberg. There's also, uh, what, Dustin, uh, Dustin, Moskovitz Mas- yeah. and, um, and, some, and another guy, and they're barely even characters in the film. But one of them right. you know Blader became uh joined the Obama campaign and then has become this hugely anti Facebook I think Dustin figure. is the one yeah It's Dustin yeah yeah who mm-hmm. uh, right yeah I wrote about him a little bit in the book and he uh, he had that he had a New York Times big New York Times opinion piece sometime in the last 2 years talking about the last time he saw Zuckerberg and how he thinks Mark doesn't understand that this is a really evil company that's creating social harm. So there's, you know, it would have been, the se- the sequel would have been, if they do a sequel, it would have been, there'd be more potential payoff in a sequel if they had actually spotlighted this character a little bit more. Or some mm. of the the kind of people in the com- in, uh, the original founders mm. who are also against it. But mm. it's not just, it's very much just about Zuckerberg and Eduardo.
2: Well, and I, I think an interesting thing to me that you also talked about in your book is is this history where back in the Obama days when Obama was running and they did, you know, they were really the first campaign to do a truly sophisticated online thing. And as you said, I think Dustin or someone actually took a leave from Facebook to help out Obama.
3: Yeah, right. It was it was Dustin, yeah.
2: Yeah, and this was treated in the media as brilliant. You know, these right. guys are brilliant. They're taking advantage of the online world and they're making a difference. And then later on, it's like, Oh wait! Conservatives are doing this. This is terrible. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, and that's uh, and and that's not really yeah, obviously that's on the film, but yeah, they don't they don't see, they don't really spend a time fleshing out what 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 are the ramifications for democracy or for well, be, and, and because I don't know the, the newsfeed is not really a I, I don't even think it's a feature of Facebook at the time period of the of right. the film. So the the kind of you know it, it's very much about the just the the social media aspect of it to have the friends right. you know connecting with friends kind of thing. Hmm.
2: Now here's here's a rant I always have which people rarely find interesting. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I really have a problem with biographical fiction that presents itself essentially as true. Mm -hmm. And that is relying, Mm -hmm. is going to make money on the fact that people are coming in thinking they're going to learn about this person or this event. And then they have all sorts of falsehoods in it. And people always have the excuse. And Aaron Sorkin, he's huge on this. He has no interest in accuracy whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I've never seen Mm -hmm. the Steve Jobs movie because, as I said, I worked for Steve Jobs. And he said, if a single line in my script was ever said by Steve Jobs, it would be a miracle. Right, <laughs> and that just pisses me off. Oh yeah, I agree with you. I don't have a problem with taking a uh, a famous person and doing a fantasy about them. All you have to do is give a couple of hints that oh, I'm just using this name and this figure, but they didn't actually do this thing. Right? They didn't actually go to Oz, or they didn't, you know, whatever.
3: Right. <laughs> or even if, even if they did all the exact things, they never like. They probably right. They probably just like what you just said. They probably didn't say that line. Right. Right. They probably even if, Hmm. you know, the the Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Saverin met with Sean Parker in a in a dinner and had some kind of conversation like that wasn't that was not in a journalistic sense. That was not a right. If I wrote an article and said that this was a meeting between these people and this is exactly what they said and it wasn't word for word accurate, that would be unethical and I should be fired. Right. So it is funny that when you turn it into a film, you get to take those kinds of creative liberties.
2: I liked the big short for this, if you recall. There were actually points mm-hmm. in the film where they said, It didn't happen this way. <laughs> it was right. just convenient to tell you this way. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, great, you're being honest with us. That's all I need.
3: You know The other way or the other way you know. could do it is you just change the you can just change the characters' names. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that would have been But that's the problem. They're not going to come to a
2: book that's uh, to a movie. They're not going to come to a movie that's not about Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And that's why Mm. I say it's unethical. You're calling it Steve Jobs. You're calling it, you know, whatever, because that's what will bring people in. Then you're not telling the real story.
3: Uh, Anyway. Yeah, Yeah. I would change the names. I probably would have changed the names.
4: The Jolson story really distorted the truth about his life. Fascinating movie, but then you find out, well, it's not really true. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, kind of a downer. After well, and my that. my yep.
3: favorite movie, another David Fincher, is Zodiac. Is my favorite movie, mm-hmm. and the film comes down pretty hard on the. I'm, I well, there's no spoilers for anyone, but it really has a suspect in mind that it the yeah. the film strongly thinks was the Zodiac, and it makes a it makes a very strong case that that was the killer but it, it, it acknowledges that we don't know for sure and we'll never know but here's all the circumstantial evidence that really points you to it that way and it that's the sad sati- it's you know a film has to have a semi-satisfying ending but of hmm. course you know there's still act i think i, I saw in the, the the news a couple weeks ago that there was that someone is they think they solved the cipher that it was never solved and it points to this other suspect and it seems kind of conclusive and it's not at all I I did a deep dive on that
2: also. And and my understanding is, yeah, the actual evidence against the person they point out is not nearly as clear as what they say. Um, So that is. But at least the movie doesn't absolutely say he was guilty. right. Right. (laughs) So a couple of questions here, especially for you, Robbie. Do you, uh, and this is, you know, it gets into legal stuff and libertarian stuff and other things. Do you think the Winklevoss twins should have gotten their $65 million settlement? Because basically what this came down to was probably they didn't have a right to it, but mm-hmm. if you have a billion-plus-dollar company and there's even a 1% chance that a lawsuit might go against you, it's worth paying out $65 million so you don't have to worry about it. Do you think that's mm-hmm. just?
3: I, you know, I have not changed my mind all that much on various issues in my adult lifetime, right? I'm a pretty solid libertarian. It takes a lot. I'm. I've had my philosophical transformation like 20 years ago and my my views have remained pretty consistent. But I think I was much more against the concept of intellectual property at all when I first saw this film and I, if mm-hmm. I recall yes my my thinking was no they don't deserve anything it's kind of you know shady. What Zuckerberg did honestly the college action might I think at the time I thought well th- well that f- if he did something unethical for the college's policies they could punish him. But no, they don't have any right to this whatsoever, and I think I've kind of—I don't quite agree with that anymore. Now I, I think I'm more sympathetic to them or to, to their claim that he, he that he did owe them money. I still think the concept of intellectual property can be abused and is mm. being abused, but may, mm. I, I now I don't think I don't think the entire concept should be thrown out. As but did, did he before.
2: owe the money because they inter- potentially introduced him to this idea? Or did he owe the money because there was some chance that he would lose if he went to court?
3: It sounds I mean I, the film does make it sound like he kind of did steal their idea a little bit. You know, what goes into an idea is a is a really <laughs> right. hard question right. and, and not you know not every yeah, you know, this is something I think about. you know I write some fiction on the side. I've not been nearly as successful with my fiction as my nonfiction, <laughs> but I hope to be one day. And all, all stories are kind of inspired by something or, you know, it's inspired by several different things. And you, I Stephen King said, he thinks of stories as like little objects you uncover on the beach in the sand, right? There's, they're, they're, Mm. so they are, they're all, they're based on something and you, and you, you know, you take ideas and you borrow ideas, but how much, if you just wholesale borrow an idea and you don't change it enough, then you are just stealing it and that's bad. But when you know when it becomes your idea or your you know when you've when you've colonized it, when you've mixed your labor with the land and now it's yours <laughs> and no longer an alien world it's a is a hard question mm-hmm.
4: From what I saw in the movie, I got the impression that at the very least he was acting really dishonorably because he had he had fifteen different emails that he sent to them, putting him off, leading him on, you know their understanding was he was going to work with them. And he had he had no intention of doing it. You know, the proper thing to do, I would think, is to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to work with you anymore on this. Uh, find somebody else, whatever. Instead of d- dragging it out over the space of weeks and weeks. I don't know what the law says about that, about what they might be entitled to, but it seemed just on the face of it in the movie, the very least you could say about it was it was, pretty damn sneaky of him i don't know
2: so robbie what's your take on larry summers interpretation of harvard's rules right so the so they the winklevoss twins come to him and say the rule book says you know students have to be fair with each other and larry summers has this very interesting interpretation of this
3: Right, right. Well, he he brushes them off. He tells them to get lost. He doesn't care at all. Well, about he says, oh, you're, that
2: which, was your agreement with Harvard, not your agreement with other students, <laughs> which is like, what does that right. mean?
1: <laughs>
4: so yeah, I
3: don't know. I, like, you
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: don't know how realistic that actually, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that really happened. I, I assume they had some kind of, I you know, the field does not portray that in a realistic way to me because actually college disciplinary procedures are grueling. And you can have, and this has gotten much worse over time, so maybe it wasn't as bad in 2006 or whenever this is taking place as it is now, but now you can have any student or or faculty member investigated for any reason. You can, you can like, the amount of grievance mm-hmm. adjudicating going on in universities, and it, John, I mean, on Title IX on, like, sexual misconduct and those things on racial-based misconduct, but just on, like, anything you can there can be an investigation open so the idea that their only way to handle this is like they go straight to the top and they have a a conversation with summers and then that's it is not that's not how it would happen so like if they they (laughs) made any serious, if they were pretty serious about it they made any serious effort to get him in trouble or have him investigated uh, in the university procedure they that would have gone somewhere in all likelihood i mean i can't guarantee that would have but it 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 would have proceeded so
4: if they had gone through the right channels instead of going right. directly to the president of the college, right. yeah. yeah, that makes sense.
3: If they'd accused Mark Zuckerberg of cultural appropriation, they would have they would have gotten Facebook <laughs> sure shut down <laughs> instantly.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody'd heard of it then. Probably <laughs> it would have been worth yeah. a try, though. You start a yeah. trend. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that scene, I I don't know how accurate it was, but it certainly didn't portray Larry Summers in a good light in my book, you know, because if the rules aren't to be enforced, then why print them in the first place, just leave them out?
2: (laughs) Okay, so last thing on the film itself, I guess, appropriately, the ending. I'll tell you right up front, I hate the ending. I hate, hate, hate it. Oh, so no. The ending of this film, right, there's this woman that Zuckerberg has met in the process of, of dealing with the lawsuit. And he she walks out at the end after telling him some hard truths. And he sends her a friend request. And then he sits there refreshing his browser, waiting for her to respond to the friend request. And actually, to me, this is like something you write when you're a high schooler, or in your first draft, but you don't mm. put it in your final draft. I don't know. It just it's <laughs> uh, it's it just so obvious and easy for a film that's trying to be sort of complex and subtle. So, so that's my take. Well, what do you guys think?
4: Well, the last friend request that wasn't for the junior lawyer that he was working with that was for the erica that he had been dating from the start right well this is a little I,
2: confusing because he definitely looks at erica's profile i interpret it as he sent it to the lawyer but but maybe he sent it to erica i don't robbie do you recall No, oh, i
3: think he sends hmm. it to uh to that uh that ex-girlfriend from the beginning okay so I that's totally I misinterpreted that. Right. I, I still
2: hate the refreshing okay. part. I do, so like, I like it. Oh, I like right. the ending.
3: I, maybe it's a little. I see what you're saying. Maybe it's a little. I don't know. Corny on it's the note Right. Word, it it <laughs> is on the note. But right. <laughs> the 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 vibe they're going for is that he's this tremendously successful person, and he's only going to become more successful after this. And and he's won at all costs. And the cost is, you know, he's. He's lost his humanity, he, but he never really had very much of that to begin with. So maybe yeah. he's he's lost yeah. <laughs> he's lost his friends. So he, he as a, he's he has his company, he has his money, he has his success. But does does he have you know the approval of actual people? And and he you know can he get that friend request? Confirmed? I guess it's on the nose. I like it. I liked the ending. I don't know how else you would end that film no. exactly because it's such a because <laughs> it's structured in such a kind of. Yeah, you know, I mean it's it's flashback and because right. they're in the the dueling kind of well not dueling but they're in two he's in two different judicial proceedings that are happening and it's being told in flashback but they're not happening at the same time so I don't know how else you uh you know how else you how else would you how yeah. would you end that film what would you I, I don't know I I
4: have to say I liked it yeah. myself I mean it was just this very sort of a Old, old-fashioned, moralistic ending. You're know, like all your worldly wealth mm-hmm. can't buy you the one thing you really <laughs> <Right>. want. <laughs> I, I enjoy right. that. He should have.
3: He should have. Um, <laughs> y, y, you know, he he googles rosebud and then and then dies, and, and, then, and then they find it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, well,
4: I think that's I guess a... it. Is it is kind of a Citizen Kane type story? Yeah,
2: that's a perfect place <laughs> to end that. I think. Uh, you 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 know, it's pretty clear from what we've all said. We all think it's worth watching. I think it's even more worth watching after you listen to this podcast because you'll have so much more context for it. So, Robbie, for people who want to find you or follow your stuff now that they've heard how interesting you are, where should they go?
3: Sure. You can order my book on Amazon or from wherever books are sold. And please follow me on Twitter. It's just my name at Robbie Suave, R-O-B-V-Y-S-O-A-V-E. And you can read my work at reason.com and you can watch me mornings on the Hill TV as rising program, which I'm the kind of semi-permanent guest host of now. Uh, It's on YouTube uh, for the Hills (laughs) channel.
2: And I'd say I really like that show. So, you know, definitely should people should check you out there. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Farm animals. Yeah. I was drunk and angry and stupid. And blogging. And blogging. Pay them. In the scheme of things, it's a speeding ticket. That's what Cy will tell you tomorrow. Do you think anybody would mind if I stayed and used the computer for a minute? I can't imagine it would be a problem. Thanks. I appreciate your help today. You're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be.
2: So, Robbie, I've been reading your stuff for years, and you've done a lot of great work. But, you know, I think, like, with a lot of people, uh, the thing that really amazes me was your work on the Covington Catholic students thing. So, to start out with, can you give, like, the, you know, I don't know, two-minute summary of what happened there and what you did?
3: Absolutely, yeah. So, this was uh, an incident uh Famous incident uh, at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Student group, uh, the Catholic high school uh, students, Covington, they were there for a pro-life rally and they were a group of them standing around. And so then a video clip of an incident that happened while they were there went viral on social media and it appeared to show them engaged in racial harassment of an elderly native american man and it's a short clip and every the internet lost its mind there was a period of i don't know it was like a day and a half of of how you know the these kids are emblematic of the kind of racism that Donald Trump has emboldened they're all wearing maga hats they're you know political conservatives mm-hmm. they're for co- conservative cause and then uh so they're being widely condemned like celebrities, media figures, politicians, they're saying this is hate. You know, the they they were they were they were really being attacked viciously like no one has ever been attacked before. And mm. I sat down to write something about it and then I saw that there was a longer video clip available, it was actually like an hour plus of footage. So I got to watch everything that happened before this moment and it was just it was incredible. It it was vastly different if you had watched if you watched everything that happened before and actually what was happening at that time from kind of slightly different angles in less uh, less misleading way so they were the, the they were not they did not like just harass this guy out of nowhere they had actually been harassed by this group of kind of crazy people for like an hour they didn't really do anything wrong he came up to them he was like on the side of this other group he went into their midst they were already chanting and cheering when he they he came up to them they weren't like doing that to insult him and then the, the, the mm-hmm. kid who really Nick Sandman, who really got the uh, you know, was was accused of, like, getting his way and staring at him in this hostile manner. So when you watch the rest of the video, that's not at all what he did. Again, the Native American man came up to him. He was trying to deescalate. He was not staring at him in an aggressive or, or racist way. So it was just totally, wildly, completely wrong uh, how it was reported. Uh, the, the, the rush to judgment on it was astonishing.
4: Yeah, if I remember right, it was reported as him uh, him smirking at him, and it was more like uh, he's trying to put up with the guy. Right, right. He he I says that right. he,
3: you know, they were they were confused. It was it was a charged situation. They had been harassed by this group of crazy. I've been harassed by these people. If you live in D.C., you've encountered them. The black Hebrew Israelites. It's a you know, it's a hmm. crazy cult, uh, like a black nationalist cult. They scream, they yell things at women and Jewish people and gay people, like they just you know they're like the Westboro Baptist Church type people, and mm-hmm. they were there and had been yelling at these boys for like an hour, and then the Native American man and his group come up and it's like they 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 he claimed this guy, the Native American man he gave interviews to the media saying i was i, I they the the boys were predators and they were you know they were going to do I, he was putting himself in the line of fire to protect the Black Hebrew Israelites, who were who were absolutely mm-hmm. the aggressors in this situation.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So I have a
2: couple of questions about this, which is why I bring it up. The first is, as someone in journalism, do you have any thoughts on why were you the only journalist, certainly in this country, if not practically in the world, for a story that had gone viral, everybody was talking about, everybody was responding to? Why were you the one person who took a couple of hours to get the context to find out what the whole story was i mean what what's that about
3: part of it was just good timing that i yeah, happened to be the video was available around the time when i decided it was time to weigh in but also i just didn't have a uh it, this story needed to be it, it played to a lot of biases that people in the mainstream media and celebrities and democrats and politicians had about you know what trump supporters and trump voters are like and i don't i i'm kind of neutral like i i mean i'm i'm not a big fan of donald trump but i'm also like i don't agree with liberals mm. so i don't like i i wasn't i didn't i wasn't bringing an agenda to this and and that is actually a benefit right. libertarians have in, not all the time i'm i am sure i have my own blind spots and my own biases but in some mm. co- some confrontation between trump supporters and liberals like if it had been the case that trump supporters were harassing people I'm like okay that that's something that could happen it, it doesn't it doesn't harm my worldview or put me in and it doesn't have anything to do with me i can, if that's what's going on i can assert that that's what's going on but also if that's not what's mm-hmm. going on and they've been falsely accused that that's fine too like it doesn't it it, it i'm not on a side so i'm not like i'm not I, i'm not a, i'm not compromised regardless of how it turns out and that's not right. true for people in the kind of mainstream media more broadly who are like, nope, this is a story because Trump people are bad. So, of course, these kids would do this and and we're going to write about this. And like it's not they weren't even thinking like if you stop, take yeah. a breath, think for a minute. These are not notable. These kids are not public They're figures. Kids. They're kids. They're not. Kids. Even if they <laughs> did do something wrong, like all kids do something wrong. Yeah. And. <laughs> mostly they just get detention and then they love they learn and grow from that experience yeah. and that's it so that the idea mm-hmm. that like the washington post and the atlantic and the new york times and msnbc and you know probably right. half the the democratic senators and half the you know seth rogan or something i don't know that he said anything but the comedian type pat oswald did weigh in yeah. Uh, yeah. very viciously mm-hmm. uh like what do you do with like these are these are these right. were kids I guarantee, i
2: and I can think of what they are, but I'm not going to tell you when I was their age, I did and said things that if it had't been on video, my life would be destroyed,
3: yep, same. <laughs> and that is true for ninety nine percent of people, because we're, we're all true. we would all be if you had and this is actually a true downside of social media. like if 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 a, if everything I had said when I was a kid might sa- there was a running recording of it or a transcript of it. I would be embarrassed, and so would you, and so would anyone alive today. But we're lucky mm-hmm. to have finished our adolescence before you had right. smartphones and before and now. Everything the kids say is in a text or a or a or yeah. a post or a. Well, tweet. you had
2: that case of the the kid who mm-hmm. someone waited a couple of years mm-hmm. until she was applying to college, and then they used something you know a, a couple seconds of her singing a song to get her taken down. Just bizarre. All right, so, last question and we'll let you uh, get out of here, Robbie. Here's one that I'm really confused about because uh, journalists like you and an organization like Reason all the time are covering stuff like this and and saying, "Oh, it's not what you think," and nobody ever pays attention. Why on this story? So, so the to me the incredible thing is after your reporting on this came out, a large percentage, or at least a surprisingly large percentage of organizations and pundits and everything across the country said ooh sorry i screwed up that never happens why did that happen in this case what why did your reporting penetrate to these people who usually would not be interested in hearing about it
3: i mean i think well not to 2.1 horn i think i because i have a record of calling out um, it's not what you think kind of stuff on both sides I think I am take someone who is at least listened to by both conservative media and mainstream traditional media. Jake like Jake Tapper tw- was one of the first people to tweet my article about this. I was saying that the media is getting this wrong and I'm I'm friends with uh, Megan McCain who was a host of the view and she talked about it on the she tweeted it too. So the fact that I I generally I think even people who disagree with me think I'm I'm I'm, you know, writing in good faith and I I'm not I'm not someone who reflexively sides with Trump or so. So so the fact that I was saying this meant something to people and they were they did remember a lot of people did remember from my previous major story, the Rolling Stone um, sexual assaults article that I was part of the early debunking of. And and so it and so it penetrated. And I always say that, you know, when I talk when I talk to right wing people and they go, yeah, the media really screwed up the coming in store. And I go, well, of course they did. But CNN, The Washington Post, other they did say they got it wrong. They 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 said they corrected. They eventually they they you know, they revised those. They wrote different stories. They said we got it wrong. There are activists, more liberal media type people who still maintain that that. No, they were correct to attack the Covington kids. There was a whole... Yeah. In the sort of... um Gawker is gone now, but it was like the dead spin. One of the post-Gawker, you know, lefty sites, like they were horrible. They, to this day, or and I don't even know what kind of incarnation they exist in, right? And they're like Sauron. They they exist in <laughs> spectral form. We can never quite be rid of them, but uh, they were horrible. And then to this day are on that. And there, yeah. there's some other um uh very progressive media figures not mainstream media figures but progressive media figures who are still like that who who said nope we absolutely got it right and the right is trying to whitewash this and that's what robbie's doing and so so it's not everybody
2: okay well you know really appreciate the work you've done and again thank you so much for being here